1: We're bringing you special live coverage in the wake of Memphis authorities releasing video of the fatal beating by police of Tyree Nichols three weeks ago this weekend.
2: Hello once again, John. In just the last hour or so, more fallout here. We have learned that the Shelby County Sheriff's Department has now suspended two deputies who were at the scene after the violence and have launched their own investigation. That is in addition to the five fired Memphis police officers who were charged yesterday with second-degree murder for what you see uh, them do on camera, to Tyree Nichols. Now, as we have been doing all evening here, we have a warning for you. What you will see is a young man being beaten to death. John, it is graphic. The language is no less ugly as well.
3: Hey, Mike. Hey, look Watch out, watch out. Oh!
4: Mom! Mom!
5: Mom! Mom! Watch out! I'm gonna baton the fuck out of you! He the fucking it is! He Watch out! Simon. Watch out! Give me him! Give it to him! Give it to him! Same
6: location. Ross the character Ross and it! Give me your
3: fucking hand. Ah! Give me your hand. Give me your fucking hand. Give me your hand.
1: Again, what is most notable among other things, Don, amongst the brutality, is that if you're trying to figure out who's calm, it appears to be Tyree Nichols there. It is the officers who have their emotions, you know, at 11 or more there uh, and seem to be escalating the situation almost every step of the way
2: yeah it wasn't a you know sir can you show me your license and registration it was they went from zero to 100 in you know less than five seconds or just immediately and john what we saw there that was the the first video that was the beginning as we know it gets much much worse after that i'm sorry that was a sorry that was a little bit later but it did get worse Mm -hmm. after that because we see Tyree Nichols, they prop him up against the car. He passes out, falls on the ground. According to our Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the brain swelling there caused him to go in and out of consciousness. I want to get to our developing news, though, with CNN's Shimon Prokipas. He's back with us with more on the news that broke in just the last hour. Two local sheriff's deputies now relieved of duty pending an investigation. Shimon, uh, What, what, what is going on? What happened here? Yeah, well, for some reason, the
7: sheriff, who is the sheriff of this town is a leading law enforcement of the county, official of, 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 Shelby, this, county, of this, yeah. Shelby County, has now viewed this video and now realizes that he has deputies there, two deputies, he says, and they are now placed on leave as a result of what happened here. So we're 20 days into this, and now we have two more uh, law enforcement officials, sh- deputy sheriffs, who are now on leave. Uh, we don't know why. It doesn't really explain anything, but they are on uh, paid leave, uh, now pending this this is the first time we're hearing of these uh, sheriff's deputies being there. When you look at the video, Don, you could see the number of law enforcement officials that s- show up, don't intervene, don't help Tyree Nichols uh, as he's laying there beaten, uh, clearly severely injured. Uh, so now we have more sheriff's deputies. Also, what's interesting is today we learned that these M- two EMTs, which we knew about several days ago, p- were put on leave. The fire department hasn't seen this video. So now, 20 days later, they themselves are now launching an investigation to figure out what happened. So it's so much in this town, it seems, that is yet unknown, I feel like, in this county by officials about their personnel who are on scene. A lot of the information perhaps not being shared. So still many more, it would seem, investigations that need to take place so that we could figure out exactly Everything you that got happened.
2: the five officers, and now you have uh, these two members of the Shelby County Sheriff's Department, and then also you have the um, the five officers, of course, and the uh, two people who were in- involved from the fire department. So, and according to the DA, this could grow. He yeah, said nothing precludes yeah, definitely yeah, an escalation. And of, there's a DOJ problems.
7: investigation. What will that bring? And if they start really digging into this police department? We're going to see a lot more stuff.
2: We'll be following. Um, John, the video has, has just been released, so it could be the beginning of it for some people who are involved. As, as you know now, it is a beginning uh, for at least two sheriff's deputies uh, whose superior uh, had not seen the video and has now put them on administrative leave.
1: Yeah, Don, I want to pick up right there. Uh, John Miller is back with us, Joey Jackson, Charles Rams- Ramsey as well, also with us, CNN senior law enforcement analyst and former FBI deputy director Andrew McCabe. Also seen in chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. John Miller, first to you. Just what they were talking about right there. These two sheriff's deputies put on leave now after the video is released. Shimon and Dom were both asking, well, why would that happen? You've
8: got some possible answers. I'll tell you exactly why that would happen, because the story almost tells itself. You've got the elected sheriff of Shelby County watching uh, on our air uh, or some other show uh, this video play and realizes for the first time watching this video on live television that two deputy sheriffs from his agency are there on the scene. That triggers a bunch of questions, which is, what were they doing there on the scene? When did they get there? What part of this did they see, witness, take part in, stand by for? Do they have an implication in this Failure to intervene question, but more than any of that, John, is why am I finding out about this by watching it on live television? Mm. They should have told their supervisor, hey, that thing that everybody's talking about, we were there. We heard it on the radio. We rolled up his backup, whatever. But that should have gone from their sergeant to their lieutenant to to the senior deputy to the sheriff himself. And the reason he's taking them off patrol is... We're going to go through an entire inquiry. What did you see? When did you see it? What did you do? What did you not do? And they're not going to be back on patrol till he's comfortable with all those answers.
1: You know, Chief Ramsey, if we can expand this a little bit now, two suspended sheriff's deputies, the five officers charged with, among other things, former officers charged with murder, two, I think, EMTs uh, on some kind of leave here. As you have now seen the video, How much bigger do you think this web will extend over the next few days? Because there are a lot of other people, law enforcement, in this video.
9: Well, I don't know how much, uh, how far it's going to extend in terms of criminal charges, but certainly administrative charges for failing to take any action. And I do believe that'll be the next phase internally within the police department. Uh, You know, you have to watch that video several times. uh, Every time I see it, one, it, seems like it gets worse every time you see it, but you also pick up different things that different people are doing, and that's what they're doing now. You have to really take your time and go through the tape to really determine who was there, what did they do, or more importantly, what did they fail to do. And then, you know, take the appropriate action, whether that be criminal or administrative. And I think a lot of that's going to be administrative.
1: Yeah, they're going to piece together everyone who was in that video. They're going to get a timeline of it. And uh, no doubt they will learn more. Andrew McCabe, I want to read you a text I got from a friend of mine who happens to be the chief of police in Burlington, Vermont. John Miller has been getting texts like this also from people in law enforcement. And again, this is people who are in this business like you were for decades Uh, says, the chief says, what a horrific, ugly incident. I just watched it with a room full of appalled, baffled cops. Again, this is coming from people in the business right now who almost can't believe what they've seen. Your
10: reaction to that? Yeah, John, I mean, there's 800,000 sworn law enforcement officers in this country, and I guarantee you, the vast, vast majority of those are watching these videos, those who've seen them, and they're act, reacting the same way you and I are, and every and and everyone else is that's been on the show tonight. It is absolute uh, vicious savagery. You're seeing things on this video that are not taught in any police academy in this country, um, and and so it is. It's it's as a member of the law enforcement community, um, it's it's disgusting. It's embarrassing, um, and and it really drags the entire community down. Um, but I think it also speaks loudly to this question of an undercurrent of of toxic culture in our community, in the law enforcement community that leads to situations like this. You know, you you can see from the absolute first minute of that video, the response at the traffic stop where you have police officers bailing out of their cars at 100 percent intensity level, screaming profanities, guns drawn, racing up to the vehicle and um, before they really have any legitimate way of understanding what they're facing. It's, it's impossible to imagine that whatever led up to this traffic stop could have provoked uh, a response of that nature. And at that point, it's it's game on. There's absolutely no restraint at any level. Um, it's just it's, it's horrific. So I, under, I understand why you're getting those texts. I'm getting the same ones.
1: Tonight. You know, Joey, Andrew just brought up the first video. The first moment we see... The officers are already incredibly revved up there. Tyree Nichols, not so at all. From a legal perspective, again, leaves many of us asking the questions, what on earth happened before this? But from a legal perspective,
11: how much does that matter? So I think it's troubling for a couple of reasons, right? So legally, the first question you're going to ask is why they stopped him in the first instance. Was this a pretextual stop, pretextual stop meaning without basis, you're just looking to find something or giving the police the benefit of the doubt? Was he engaged in this reckless driving that we're speaking of? Right. That gives you the ability and basis legally for the stop. But then everything after that has to be legally justified and proper. And then the other question has to be, right, and more for law enforcement personnel, Chief Ramsey, perhaps John, is tactically speaking, right, and I don't even think the experts need to answer that. Is it an appropriate way to engage with someone when you're throwing f bombs at them? How about, sir, we're stopping you because. May I see your license or registration? We have reason to believe A, B, and C. Get out the car, get out the car, get out the car. And so that escalation of it, John, makes it turn right from the outset into an encounter which is not only dangerous, but of course ends up to be deadly. So I think. We're we're going to see an examination of all that, the predicate for the stop, whether it was lawful and legitimate, what was the encounter like, could the encounter have been different, what the actions that were taken by the police with respect to getting him out of the car, was that necessary with regard to the force used to get him onto the ground, with regard to the force used in the initial accounts, etc. So we're going to see all of that play out, but I think there's one thing which everyone's agreeing upon, is that this did not need to happen, Mr. Nichols should still be alive, and that the tactics and approach of this, these police officers was patently deplorable. Mm.
1: Sanjay, thank you for your patience. I've waited to come to you because I want to dig into this a little bit with you. I want to put up some video and then get your take on what we are looking at, get your take as a medical expert. So let's watch. This is the, the camera, the sky camera, from up above here and what you're going to see, this is within that four minute period where these officers seem to strike him, I think, nine right. times. I believe that's what we're looking at here or or this may be something else. Can you guys tell me the control of what we're seeing here? OK, this is different. Then let me ask you the question in a different way, Sanjay. This is aid not being given to him. Uh, this is EMTs apparently yeah. on the scene. What are you seeing them doing or not doing?
12: Well, I, so th- this was one of the more, more troubling parts of the whole thing. It's all so troubling. But, but I, you know, I looked at this very carefully and sort of marked the time because there's a time code uh, in this video. And the last time that um, Mr. Nichols is is assaulted, is kicked, is, is around 8.33. It is not till 8.41 that we see a, I think it looks like a fire truck, I think, EMS vehicle pull up. But nothing happens until 8.55, where someone actually assesses Mr. Nichols. So at that point, you know, nearly 22, 23 minutes has passed, and it's another seven or eight minutes before they actually bring out a gurney. So there's about a half an hour, John, roughly, where you have somebody who is critically ill. We know now that he was, you know, had all these various injuries, and he's really not getting any any medical care at all at that point. And that, that was obviously concerning. But when you watch the the beating, the assault. Um, I watched this with uh, some other medical examiners from around the country and have been talking to colleagues uh, all night about this. And there's just so many mechanisms of injury that he seems to have suffered here. Um, a lot of people pay attention to the head injuries. He was kicked in the head, he was punched in the face and the head several times. Um, he seemed to be coming in and out of consciousness when he was leaned up against that vehicle, which could be, we don't know for sure, could be a sign that he was starting to develop brain Mm -hmm. swelling. The brain is the only organ in the body that when it swells, it has nowhere to really go uh, because of the skull. And that's why people will start to develop uh, a loss of consciousness and ultimately can lead to death. But he's also this very thin guy, and he was getting kicked in the torso and in the abdomen and in the chest. Uh, you could develop bleeding intra-abdominally in, in, in the chest as well, into thoracic So there's all these potential mechanisms. When you're, when you're face down, you can have a component of obstructing the airway, a form of strangulation. We, we don't know. Uh, but I will say this. He was in the hospital, as we do know, for, uh, I think, three days, essentially. When he went in, he probably was scanned. He's got brain scans, body yeah. scans. So there is probably more information about exactly what all the injuries led to uh, based on those scans and those other things in the hospital. You may have had procedures done in the hospital. We, we don't know. But, but it, was, it was brutal to watch, John. I just got to tell you, you know, I'm, a, I'm a trauma neurosurgeon. I often see patients who come in the hospital after terrible injuries, but I've never seen the injury sort of take place like that, to see that sort of, that sort of assault, that sort of beating.
1: And then that gap of time, Sanjay, I don't know if there's any way of knowing, but the 30 minutes or 20 minutes, depending on how you measure it, based on the injuries that we know he may have had, what kind of a difference could earlier of treatment have made?
12: We don't know. You're right, John. It's, it's, it's tough to say, um, but he should have been in a hospital. <laughs> he, should have, he should have been taken to a hospital right away. That's, that is what we do in hospitals. We take care of patients with, with horrific injuries, and that would have been his best chance. Again, I don't want to speculate That it would have somehow, you know, definitively changed the outcome here. But because these were terrible, terrible injuries. But, um, you know, reducing pressure on the brain, uh, making sure that the brain does not continue to swell, addressing bleeding, replacing blood. That is what you do in a trauma hospital. And that's where he should have been.
1: Yeah, it's a great point there. You don't need to speculate to know that he should have been in a hospital. All right, Sanjay, everyone stand by again, if you will. Uh, Next, back to Memphis. Dawn is going to be joined by a Memphis City Councilwoman about what her community is going through in the wake of these videos coming out. Also, the pastor of the church where funeral services will be held for Tyree Nichols next week. That is CNN Tonight continues.
2: We're back here now in Memphis with our special live coverage. The city releasing videos of a deadly police beating of Tyree Nichols. A really tough night. I'm joined now by Memphis City Councilwoman Patrice Robinson. Councilwoman, we're so um, grateful that you're here to help us get through this and talk about what's on this horrible video. It was released uh, earlier so that you could see it. You saw it at noon today, correct? Yes, I did. And now for the general public to see, um, what's your reaction?
13: I was saddened, but I knew it was going to be difficult because I am a mother and I have a son. And my heart went out to the family and the community and all the families that have lost loved ones to policing that's not favorable. <sighs> I'm just exasperated and, and that
2: is the truth. What is that, it was a big gasp, what was that for?
13: This has really been tough for us as a city, for me personally. This has been tough for our community. And I'm getting messages from all over the United States and Canada. I have people reaching out saying, do we need to come to Memphis to help? What can we do? Do we need to march? What what can we do to help? And then I have other messages that say that they're not coming to visit Memphis anymore. And I don't want people to give up on us because we had this one snafu. I do believe that we have good people right here in Memphis. We have some great police officers, but the ones that I observed on today are
2: questionable. So then what, what needs to happen? because you are um, you're in government, you're an elected official. Yes. it's going to take legislation in order to change things. So then what needs to happen to make sure that when people are stopped for things like a traffic violation that it doesn't end in death?
13: The first thing that we saw was we have no reason to know why they even stopped him. We watched the video from the camera within the vehicle and they pulled him over. We couldn't tell why they even pulled him over. But my concern is when you're stopped for, if that's what actually happened, if you're stopped for any violation for driving, it should never even end up with you even getting out of the vehicle unless you have a gun. And we didn't see any of that. We didn't even see them tell them why they even stopped. They just stopped, got out their cars, we saw them, and they went over to the car and just snatched him out of the vehicle.
2: Do you know of any other issues with the Scorpion unit?
13: No, I have not been made aware of any other issues with the Scorpion unit. The
2: family is, is saying that it should be disbanded. The police department is saying it, it's the unit is not the problem. They need the unit in order to, to fight crime. It's the officers. Do you agree with that?
13: First of all, we have the information that the Scorpion unit was just a unit to help in particular areas. However, we have several other organizations. It might be the name of it that may need to change, but the function of it may need to be the same. But we don't know that until we get in and investigate. And I know that if we don't start measuring what we have in our community, especially with police. When they make mistakes, when they don't do their job, when they don't follow the rules, we need to know that as a community. And I'd love to see, as a legislator, a report card on the police and what's going on within. Not just the numbers. See, all we get are the numbers. We had 300 and some deaths this year. And and when I get a report from my district, I find out how many people robbed a bank or how many people uh, stole a car. That's not what I need to know. Yeah. The community is demanding that we know what's going on on the inside and how does it operate to the benefit of all citizens.
2: Before I let you go, uh, you were talking about the community and in certain areas. You know, the crime is high. It's a black, they are supposed to protect and serve this mostly black community. It was all black officers.
10: Yes.
13: Like, and that's sad. And let me tell you why. That, that tells me that we don't love ourselves that's all I can say about that. We've got to learn to treat each other in a manner that's courteous, with respect, and allows everyone to have some dignity at the end of the day. What I saw on the video lacked all three of those.
2: Thank you. I know you've been standing out here. I appreciate your patience because it's freezing. Welcome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm thank you so much We've Got counsel. a lot of work to do patrice robinson yes and thanks. coming up here uh we're more on the scene here in memphis and the impact this moment could have on the city and the nation we're back in a moment with our special live coverage we're back now live with the law enforcement and administrative fallout spreading since Tyree Nichols' videos came out uh, this evening and peaceful protests happening here. I I just want to talk more about the broader impact. I'm joined now by CNN political commentator and former South Carolina Democratic state lawmaker, that's Bakari Sellers, also CNN political commentator, Van Jones, former special advisor to President Barack Obama. Uh, Gentlemen, good evening to you. Welcome back, Van. Uh, How you doing, Bakari? You've been watching this all day. What's up?
5: Exhausted, I think, like most Black folk who were watching um, the events play out in Memphis. We've we've been here before. The three of us have been here before and, and trying to give words to the trauma, trying to give words to uh, the brutality, trying to maintain your emotions, trying to maintain your anger and still be able to explain with some nuance to people watching, um, particularly white folks, white Americans who are watching, why we have this pain, why this keeps happening and our refusal to address the systemic issues that caused what we saw from this video tonight.
2: Van, when you watch this absolutely disturbing video, we see the officers not only using excessive force, but they're chat- chatting and they're joking about the whole encounter. I just wanna play this video of the officers. It's just moments after he was beaten. Watch.
3: So I seen him running, me and Rill road past and running, so I got him right here. He was wiping his face. He just took our running. So, y'all
14: got him. I'm
15: talking about traffic. So,
14: we tried to, I'm talking about, he's coming. Yes. Oh, this traffic. I'm talking so we tried to get him stopped. He didn't stop. We still, instead of trying to get him stopped, hit the siren, stop, 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 stop.
15: And my, like, drove around, swerved like he going to hit my car. So, then I'm like, God damn, man, what, what are we doing?
2: Wow, Van, what's your reaction?
16: It uh, doesn't sound like professional police officers. Uh, to, to quote uh, you, Don Lemon, um, you know, I think it's, this is the um, this is everybody's nightmare. Uh, I think as as a parent, uh, you know, I've got kids that are not dissimilar to Tyree. You know, Tyree, uh, his mom called him a, a free spirit. What does she mean? He's a skateboarder. He's a he's a, a Starbucks aficionado. Uh, he likes taking Instagram photographs of of sunsets. I mean, this is not. Somebody who's in the life. You know, I've got kids that are like that. He's a a good kid. And he got in a situation, he got scared. You know, he's trying to talk these folks down. He's saying, Yes, sir. He's saying, All right. He's trying to calm the cops down, and they hit him in the face with pepper spray. And you and I know what that is that is a bear repellent. Uh, You're supposed to squirt that stuff, and a, a grizzly bear will run the other way. And he panicked. And there was no reason for them to have used that level of force against him when he was trying to comply. And then you're in this nightmare scenario and you, you, you pray this doesn't happen to your own son. You pray this doesn't happen to your own children. And so this is very personal for us. We, we, we see ourselves uh, in, the, in, his, in, his, in his face, his voice. He was doing what we tell our kids to do. He was saying, OK, I'm trying to calm it down. Yes, sir. And it didn't work and it didn't work. And that's a nightmare, I think, for a lot of us.
2: And Picard looks at you, you, you know where he was running. I mean, he was, what they said, 100 yards away from us. He was running home to his mama to try, he was, and, which was running to safety. And they caught up with him before he could get there. And even in the midst of all that, he's screaming, mom, mom, help. He was crying out for help while the officers were calling him, you know, berating him and calling him names and saying, oh, as if your mom can hear you and saying, I'm going to, you know, tase or baton the F out of you.
16: I
5: mean, yeah, we, we've heard that before. I think the, probably, unfortunately, one of the more famous echoes we hear of that is George Floyd. But let's be completely and 100 percent honest. Um, this is something that will not stop happening in this country until people actually come up with a plan. It's not just uh, pouring more money into training. Um, it's not just community policing, as we say all the time. It's not adding more police. There is something fundamentally wrong with the system of policing in this country. And it doesn't matter whether or not you are Black or white. The, the commonality, and I think Van will agree, that, that goes from Emmett Till all the way to what we saw today, back to George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, all of the names that we can imagine is that the common theme is that these black folk did not get the benefit of their humanity. And until the police officers and the way that we police our communities, until they start to see young men, young boys, regardless of whether or not they're wayward or regardless of whether or not they're free spirits or anywhere in between human beings, because the way they treated him today Was or or the video we saw, the way they treated him was less than human. The the way that the officers beat him, less than human. The way they didn't even care for him, less than human. And the the crazy part about this, uh, Van and Don, is I dare say that if it was me or you, we would have got our ass beat the same way. And that, for me, is the problem because many times officers, individuals in their uniforms
2: do not see us as human. Van, Bakari mentioned George Floyd, Amart Aubrey, um, he, as he said, all the way from Emmett Till. And then there's Rodney King. And, you know, uh, Benjamin Crump has been comparing this beating uh, to the 1991 beating of Rodney King. Listen, um, you were one of the people arrested at the protests, I believe, that followed King's beating more than 30 years ago. Listen, there is a comparison in that, you know, in the beating, but I think this one stands on its own and doesn't necessarily need that direct comparison. So then what needs to change now? What needs to be done?
16: Well, I think that, you know, any human system that does not have adequate oversights, checks and balances will tend toward corruption and abuse. That's why we have, you know, meat inspectors. Uh, that's why you have building inspectors. It's not that you hate all the construction workers, you hate all the butchers. You just know if nobody's giving real oversight, eventually the pe- the bad actors will take over and ruin everything. And so if you understand the need for meat inspectors, understand the need for building inspectors, you understand the need for real oversight of police, I'm proud of the folks in Memphis that they fought and got the, the, the rules changed so that they could expedite justice in a situation like this. This didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of struggle that they were able to then... Uh, fire these cops. The problem is that in other cities uh, those victories have not been won. And so you see, unfortunately, white officers doing this sort of stuff and then they're still on the force a year later. uh, They they got desk duty. They're still getting paid. And so I think that the victory that was won in Memphis to change the the rules so that police forces can remove people quickly needs to be spread across the country. So this people start thinking, I'm going to lose my job tomorrow if I act like this. I might be in jail next week if I act like this. If that doesn't happen, We're going to see this over and over and over again.
2: Van Jones, I appreciate you. Bakari, you as well. You guys know how I feel about you. Thank you so much. I'll see you, you guys soon. There's a lot more straight ahead. We're going to talk to the pastor who will be presiding over Tyree Nichols' funeral next. His thoughts as we continue to process what we have witnessed tonight together. That's coming up. We're gonna talk about the funeral services what we call homegoing ceremonies. They're gonna be held next week for Tyree Nichols at the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church here in Memphis. The Reverend J. Lawrence Turner is the church's pastor, and he joins us now. Thank you so much for joining us. As we say, this is a homegoing ceremony. Yes. It's gonna be at your church. Yes. You're gonna be the officiant here. Yes. What are the family's wishes? The family has uh,
15: requested, the requests have been very simple. Um, celebrate Tyree's life, uh, create a space for healing uh, to begin. Um, and I'm sure uh, with Reverend Sharp to give the eulogy, there'll be a call for justice and, con- in the, and to engage in the continued struggle uh, for the kind of policing in this country that we want to see. Do they talk to you about how they want him to be remembered? Um, not at length. Um, they were uh, in the midst of a number of things as um, and when we spoke, uh, it was on the day the charges were going to be announced. Uh, and so they were um, wanting to focus directly on um, the things that I needed from them uh, so that we can begin to shape the service uh, in a way that would be fitting to their wishes.
2: So in shaping that service, I would imagine it is um, having the pulse of what is going on. You said you've been paying attention to the interviews mm-hmm. with the family. You've been in touch with them, the, the interviews with the police department, uh, the police chief and so how does that affect does that affect anything that you're doing
15: well uh, this has been a continued um, experience all this week in meetings not just with city officials but also with people who are on the ground who are activists and leaders in this community and other clergy uh, wanting to know how we best navigate our community through this Um, and so as we kind of come to this moment tonight um, and witness what was on that video and prepare for the home-going celebration, Um, we really want to lean into um, the healing ministry uh, of uh, the church and the faith community.
2: You have been, if I can just be really candid, you know, we've been talking about humanity and inhumanity, and you believe that some of these interviews and bringing the cameras here and allowing people to talk, that it is allowing them to be human? Is that what Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. Uh, Very
15: rarely do we see on television persons express their emotions. Um, And there are persons who are sitting at home watching these interviews who need to know it's okay uh, to feel what they're feeling, uh, to express these things. Um, And so as I've watched interviews throughout the day uh, where some people have cried from Tyree's parents. Um, up to even some of other clergy and city officials uh, who have interviewed on television, I believe it has been helpful uh, to let people know it's okay in this moment, not to feel okay, uh, but we're going to
2: work through this together. It's okay to be human. Yes. Not to apologize for crying. That's right. Thank you, Reverend Turner. Thank you so and much. We appreciate it. Thank and, you. And thank you for walking us here and being so open and candid. Appreciate it. So when we return, the executive director of the Memphis NAACP is going to react to the videos of another brutal beating of another black man by police in America. And we're back now live from Memphis, where tonight the city released video showing the deadly police beating of Tyree Nichols. And joining us now is Vicki Terry, the executive director of the city's branch of the NAACP. Vicky. Thank you very much for joining us this Thank evening. You. When last we spoke, we were anticipating uh, the video coming out. It had not come out. You had not seen it. You have mm-hmm. since seen the video. What's your reaction to it?
17: I was horrified. I mean, truly, it just i just—it brought me to tears. I was just in tears. My stomach was in turmoil, and I just can't imagine what was going through the heads of those
2: officers. You talked to us before about changes that the NAACP wanted and quite frankly now would imagine demanding and what Mm -hmm. are those
17: of course they've got to change they got to reform you know clean house they've got to do some things differently some of the things that we are asking them to do as far as police reform reimagining you know the police system those things have got to happen and we've as as citizens and community activists um, Politicians, everybody in this city needs to be a part of that. We need to take part and make sure those things happen.
2: The NAACP supporting the family? Of course we also. are.
17: Of course. I was with them today in their press conference. And I told the mom, I said, I will take responsibility of trying to pass this Tyree Nichols law. That's one thing that I'm going to make sure that I do as far as being uh, involved in, political advocacy
2: look i don't want to get ahead of ourselves and i'm sure Mm -hmm. you don't want either there were you know everyone was worried that there was going to be violence and Mm -hmm. you know rioting and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. we've seen people protest and imagine that it's okay you encourage peaceful Mm protest. how are you feeling about that tonight i think Uh, it's we're in a good place so far
17: i i think so too i um did an interview over off of Channel 3 Drive, and the protesters, that's where they started. And when I drove up, I mean, they were very peaceful. They were walking around, and they were getting ready to walk over to the bridge, and they were very peaceful. So that made me feel good. I didn't feel like I was at harm's way.
2: I said earlier that um, Memphis has a rich history mm-hmm. when it comes to the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. It would be incredible for Memphis to have a rich history when it comes to police reform.
17: Yes, you know, I think which is a
2: continuum on the continuum for the civil rights movement.
17: Right, and I think today um, I heard um, Attorney Crump say that this should be the blueprint. I think he said that to you this morning about Memphis being the blueprint for the country of what happened. You know, as far as the officers being fired and then charged you know, within 20 days of what happened. So I think this is it. Memphis will be the blueprint for the co- country.
2: Thank you, Vicki Terry. Thank you. I appreciate you. I, appreciate, it. You. I really appreciate thank you. We've got much more reporting uh, and reaction coming up straight ahead, including an in-depth look at the life of Tyree Nichols. We're back in a moment.
1: This is special CNN Tonight live coverage as Memphis and as we all come to grips with what we have seen done to a young man on video by five police officers who are now charged with murder.
2: That's right, John. Tomorrow, it will be three weeks to the day since police pulled over Tyree Nichols in a traffic stop that we see on video escalate out of all proportion. We then see Nichols run off only to be stopped at a second location and be given a fatal beating. And before we show you just a portion of it, I just want to take a moment and just reaffirm that Tyree Nichols, about his personhood, to show you a little about who this man was. Our Sarah Story, Sarah Seidner, has that story for us.
18: In Memphis, candles burn for a life snuffed out. The life of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols being remembered where friends say he felt the most free a skate park 12 years ago nichols seen here doing what he loved 12 years later he ended up dead officials say beaten by five men sworn to protect and serve nichols family wants people to know more about tyree nichols than how he died nobody's perfect okay nobody Mm -hmm. but he was damn near my son was a beautiful soul and he touched everyone Nichols had his mama's name tattooed on his arm. He wasn't just her beautiful boy. He was also a father who loved having fun. His friend who knew him in Sacramento told a local newspaper. He had such a free spirit and skating gave him his wings. He worked at FedEx but had other dreams. Photography. In his own words, he posted people have a story to tell. Why not capture it instead of doing the norm and writing it down and speaking it? It turns out, what led to his death was captured on camera,
2: and that was CNN's Sarah Seidner. And that video was made public earlier tonight. Before bringing in CNN's Simon Prokopev with details on the spreading fallout within law enforcement, first, though, a brief moment of what a police body cam saw, and as we have been doing throughout the night, a warning for you: it's not easy to watch. Here it is.
15: Oh, get off. Get off
3: the ground! Okay, am okay, okay.
4: right. the right,
15: right, 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 I'm on the ground! Yes, ground. I'm yes, yes, on, on, okay.
3: okay. on the
5: ground! the on
15: the ground! i on the on Now! on okay. I'm all right. Okay, I'm the Bitch, put your hands behind your back. Put, okay, am I'm not, gonna bro. knock your ass the fuck okay, out.
11: you guys are really doing a lot right now. Bro, Stop. lay down. Boy. I'm just trying to go home. Lay down, man, if
5: you don't lay down, oh, I am on the ground. group. I am dominant. Give me your fucking hands,
7: oh, oh, give, hand.
19: give me oh, your fucking hands. Who's
3: me what
4: first? Hey, give me your hands. Give me your hands.
2: It's... Uh, the words can't really explain how uh, the feeling of, of watching that video and I, I, I would imagine the people who knew him, family members, of course, even tougher for them because of that video, though Shimon Prokopez is here, there's more fallout within yeah. law enforcement.
7: Yeah, shockingly we now learned that two sheriff's deputies from this county, from this area were there on scene and it was only discovered tonight because of the release of these of this of these videos and as a result of that the sheriff here has placed those two deputies on leave. The question of course is why was the sheriff, a leading law enforcement official in this town, just finding out about this tonight. Uh, So that raises all kinds of questions. So we're seeing more fallout. And I think we're going to see more fallout. You know, The district attorney spoke to you earlier tonight. He said they're continuing their investigation. And just because they have announced these charges doesn't mean more aren't coming. Look, the DA, you could tell, needed to do something. He needed to charge someone quickly. And perhaps seeing this video, seeing everything, it was very clear to him that these were the sound charges. These were the easiest, perhaps, maybe the the most uh, charges that he could bring at this point while they conduct their investigation further. Because when you look at that video, Don, there are several more officers on scene. We don't know anything about them. We know other officers are being investigated internally. And the other thing, of course, is the EMTs. For me, I have found this among many things, but this in particular distressing because they're there to give him care to save, to try That's and save his life. That's specifically what their jobs yeah. are to and do that, right? For minutes and minutes and minutes, they're standing around doing nothing.
2: Yeah. And, and we have to remember, under the purview of the Memphis Police Department, those five officers, and there could be more. They said there's a possibility that there could be more. I'm not saying definitely that will happen. But the, they're under the purview of the Memphis Police Department, the EMTs are under the purview of the fire department, Correct. one would imagine, or the fire department right. personnel. And then also the sheriff's deputies, right. they're under the purview of the Shelby County Sheriff's Department. Correct. So you have people um, dealing with people who are within their jurisdiction. Shimon Prokopez, thank you very much. Um, John, listen, you heard from the district attorney that there could be more uh, charges for the officers who are involved, or those are the, the charges could be a- amended. And there could be other people involved. This is the beginning of it. The videotape is just now coming out. And we will see in the coming days where this goes.
1: We certainly will. And as we've been speaking to some of our experts and analysts, on, they point out, even if there aren't more legal charges, criminal charges filed, there will almost certainly be administrative measures taken on people beyond those five former officers now charged with murder. But we'll see. They now have the video. I am sure they're going through it second by second. We'll get back to you in a second, Don. Uh, As you and Shimon alluded to, what we saw on the video tonight was the deadliest possible combination of what was done to Tyree Nichols and then what was not done for him. That really jumped out at Shimon right there. Joining us now to talk about it, CNN chief medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta back with us tonight. Sanjay, let's take that in two parts. First, what was done to Tyree Nichols?
12: I mean, there were so many different mechanisms of injury there. I watched that. And i got to tell you, John, I've watched this a few times now. It's just increasingly hard to watch. I mean, it just gets worse each time because you see how defenseless he is and how many different types of assaults he has. He's standing at one point, and there is these punches to the head and to the face while he's on the ground. There's kicks to the face. But he's also a very thin guy, and he's got these these blows to the torso and to the abdomen. I mean, you can get significant bleeding. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, John, um, is that He was in the hospital for a few days after he was ultimately taken there, and that means that there's probably, they have more of an idea of exactly what the consequences of all those various blows and that beating was. They probably did scans of his brain and scans of his body, and they may have had some idea, but we know within a short time, he was unconscious, he was unable to breathe on his own. So, you know, even though he was still sort of talking a little bit, moving around a bit, I think... Uh, you know, uh, after when he's leaning up against the car, it deteriorated pretty quickly, it sounds like, once he got to the hospital. But there is that time period, John, that you have alluded to, Shimon has alluded to. I looked at the, the timestamps on the video, and it's around 8.33 when the beating finally stops, and he's, he's leaned up against this car, handcuffed. And it is um, a good eight minutes after that before the EMTs and fire arrive, but they don't really do any kind of assessment for a good nine minutes after that. And it isn't until about 9.02, which is roughly half an hour, John, after this, that, that they actually start bringing out a gurney and things. Mm-hmm. You hear various commentary during that, like it's going to take a while for the ambulance to get here and things. But no one was attending to him. That, 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 that I think, just as a doc, That was the most shocking part. As we talked about before, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but he should have been in a hospital. Let's put that up.
1: Let's put that video up so people can see what you're talking about here.
12: And just talk
1: to us over this, what we're seeing and not seeing here.
12: So you're seeing somebody who is essentially, as we know now, he, he, is, he is dying, but he is certainly in, in critical condition lying up against that car. I, I think that they must have known. first, I thought to myself, did they not recognize the gravity of his injuries? They must have known because they just inflicted this upon him. Um, so he is uh, essentially, you know, in, 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 he's dying, John. I mean, there's no other way to really say it. He's critically injured. And there's nobody really doing anything there. They sit him up a couple of times. He slumps back over. He, I do see him sort of move his legs once on his own. He seems to be in, in a state of what we call agonal breathing, which is a, typically a sort of breathing pattern when somebody who's just in near respiratory distress and even when the, I, I think the paramedics or the EMT, I couldn't quite figure out who first got to him. Uh, again, about a half an hour later, they're the first people to sort of bring out a bag and start assessing him, doing things like looking in his eyes to see if in fact he has evidence of brain swelling, something you can do by looking at the pupils, assessing his breathing. Uh, you start to see some of that, but it's it's pretty far along. There's, there's just no sense of urgency given how how critically injured he, he obviously is.
1: Brain swelling. Why do you jump to that, Sanjay, as something that might have happened?
12: I, you know, I, I think that certainly, you know, I'm a trauma neurosurgeon, so I think that's part of what I always think about. But the thing about the brain, John, is that you see all those blows to the head. Mm-hmm. And what you imagine is this brain, which is essentially a, a fluid medium. It's, it's basically mostly water. You imagine it starting to swell. And when it starts to swell like that, the brain, unlike any other organ in the body, has no place to really go because it's encased by the skull. So what happens ultimately is that it, it goes downward, and that's called herniation, and that is something that can lead to, to brain death which is, you know, a, a real consideration here. Again, the, I'm sure the hospital, St. Francis, I believe, where he was taken, probably assessed him. They have the answers to some of these questions. Did he have that sort of brain swelling? Did he have bleeding in other parts of his body? Did he have obstruction of his airway when he was essentially being knelt upon, uh, you know, uh, face down? Uh, th- they probably have the answer to these questions. But brain swelling and that sort of pattern that we saw where he was lapsing in and out of consciousness, that sort of fits. The injuries, the swelling, and then that that sort of loss of consciousness that we saw.
1: And again, as Don and Shimon were pointing out, Sarah Siner, this was all done to a human being. Uh, Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much for being with us.
12: Got it. Thank you.
1: Next, our legal and law enforcement team back with us with some thoughts. And later, Don's interview with Tyree Nichols' parents. As wrenching as it is to watch the video of a young man's life being beaten out of him, it does seem to be accompanied by the sight of justice moving swiftly. Five cops fired and now charged with murder and more investigations underway already. John Miller and Joey Jackson back here with me. Andrew McCabe also back and joining us now, CNN law enforcement analyst Michael Fanone, who nearly lost his life defending the Capitol on January 6th. And CNN legal analyst, analyst Elliot Williams, former deputy assistant attorney general. And Elliot, I do want to start with you. First off, you're new to this discussion here. And I think everyone who's seen this video has had the same visceral human reaction. That is one thing. There is the legal case that will need to be made in a court of law with the charges that have now been filed against these former officers, which do include second degree murder. Based on what you have now seen on this video and as someone who has prosecuted cases before, will that be easy to prove in court?
20: Oh, what a wonderful question, John. Thank you for asking that. Now, so, look, starting with the visceral, you know, it bears mentioning, and I have to say it, you know, hearing someone calling for his mother where she's 80 yards away or 100 yards away, and actually with a volume that it's as if he thought he could get her there. You know, I don't think I'll ever unhear that. Uh, So at its core, this is a human issue. But look, like you touched on, at the end of the day, someone is going to have to try this case. Now, secondary murder in Tennessee, in order to prove that— prosecutors have to establish a knowing killing that they reasonably were assured or knew or could have known that their actions would have led to somebody's death. So you're going to have to unpack a number of things. Number one, uh, you know, there'll be an expert testifying at that trial um, along the lines of what you were just talking with Sanjay about, uh, about what kinds of blows might lead reasonably to someone's death, right? Then... Someone else is going to have to unpack what went on in those 22 minutes when they were not rendering aid or care uh, to Mr. Nichols at the time he was there. Now, what the defense would say uh, and a smart defense attorney would say was that, you know, this was this was in the heat of battle, a scuffle. um, And, you know, this was none of none of this contact was of the sort that uh, these defendants would have thought would have led to somebody's death. Now, you know convictions are hard getting getting to that reasonable doubt standard you just got to get in one juror's head um and there's not an implausible defense here but at the end of the day you do have those i believe it's um five punches two kicks and two hits with a baton over an extended period of time that will certainly uh be powerful and resonate with the jury that of the five charges i'll be candid will be the toughest i think to get um uh, but, you know, there's two official misconduct charges that, that, that I think would be far easier. Um, and then, then you have the kidnapping and certainly aggravated assault, which is probably the clearest of all of them.
1: You know, Joey Jackson, let's bring you in here, a defense attorney. What on this video do you see as a defense attorney? And again, I know we all feel the same way viscerally and as human beings. But as a defense attorney, what on this video would you use to defend So
11: so there's a lot that concerns me. Uh, And that's the first place I start, because in dissecting a case, I have to look at and analyze what I can do to profit the best defense. And in looking at this, uh, you know, I'm hard pressed to see. Now, here's the point. The point of the matter is, and it's, you know, very good points that he makes with respect to, look, cases are very difficult. But if you want to talk about second degree murder, what you're looking at talking about that as a knowing killing is, do you mean to tell me in the event that you literally kick someone in the head multiple times. The person happens to be 140 pounds, right? You all are burly gentlemen who—I use the word gentleman loosely—who are actually out here doing this job. Not only do you kick him in his head multiple times, but you're sucker-punching him multiple times as well. You're hitting him with the ass multiple times. You mean to tell me that a reasonable juror cannot conclude that those are actions and activities that would lead to death, that you don't know and appreciate the nature of your conduct such that it may have that result? And so I think— you know, all cases are hard, but I think a skilled prosecutor can make that case in this particular situation. And so I think what happened, John, last point, and that's this, you know, you could talk about and, and relate it to Rodney King, but here's the difference. When you had Rodney King, what they were doing is looking at what strikes and movements, et cetera, that Rodney King was making so that they, that is the officers, could put it in context with an expert witness. You tell me in looking at the videotape of a defenseless Mr. Nichols on the ground, what furtive movement he was making that would justify the conduct. No immediacy of danger, such a gross disproportionality of force being used, completely unreasonable conduct, and a failure to act. I think you can certainly secure a conviction uh, with the, under the right set of circumstances. Yeah, it is
1: interesting because Elliot just brought up heat of the battle and struggle. I mean, one could look at the video and say, what battle? What struggle? Tyree Nichols, in the video that we saw, didn't appear to be putting up almost any resistance. And Michael Flanone, I want to put that to you there. Just the force that these officers use, the, the at least nine blows, blows—that really felt like watching the video came out of, out of nowhere there, leaving
21: one to say, what, what are they thinking? What could they be thinking with a human being? What did you see? I'll tell you what I saw, John. Um, You know, at the outset of that video, I saw a intense, chaotic situation. Uh, I saw police officers trying to gain control of Mr. Nichols. Uh, I believe that uh, those officers actions clearly uh, escalated that situation. And by the end of the video, um, I saw police officers who got uh, caught up in the emotion of that pursuit uh, and lost control of themselves and lost control of the situation. John Miller, a plausible
1: explanation for Michael Fanone there. Do you think is that what you saw there? And then take that a step further. What did you see when he was on the ground not getting the treatment that, as Sanjay was just saying before, he obviously needed?
8: Well, first dealing with the police officers, uh, there's a lot of screaming and yelling, but there doesn't seem to be much tactical planning. Um, On the case of Mr. Nichols, you know, they keep saying, give us your hands, give us your hands. Clearly, he doesn't want to be handcuffed. Clearly, he doesn't understand what he did or why he's being arrested, and that's an issue. But the second piece is there are a number of tactical ways to go at that. One is you could handcuff one wrist um, and have an officer maintain that arm, get the other wrist, put another handcuff on that arm, bring the handcuffs together. There are arrest tactics, uh, but this just seemed to spiral out of control with a large number of officers on the scene trying to get control of one person. When you get to the medical situation, though, um, and having been through the EMT training at the NYPD, all EMTs are trained exactly the same way. Assess scene safety. Is it safe for me to render aid? Okay, he's handcuffed. There's a lot of cops there. It's safe. Uh, Determine the number of patients. Looks like we have just one here. Uh, Determine the mechanism of injury. What is the injury? How did it occur? Or the nature of the illness. On number three is where everything seemed to go in slow motion. And you would ask, why? How? Now, there's two possibilities there. One is that the police officer said, we had a terrible fight with this guy, and we hit him numerous times in the head. Now, you'll have to go back through the tapes and see if that conversation ever happened and talk to those those EMTs. Or the other is that they may have said to the EMTs or the medical personnel exactly what they were saying to each other, which we heard on the video, which is, we think this guy's high on something. He's out of it. And it took a lot of trouble to get him handcuffed, which may have lessened their sense of urgency. But from a medical standpoint, they didn't go through the steps that they're trained to.
1: Yeah, we certainly did not hear them say, at least what we've listened to so far, he's been hit in the head a number of times, which may have affected how they treated him. Much more in a second, including with Andrew McKay, former deputy director of the FBI. Right for a quick break. Back now with our panel in the wake of all we saw tonight and all we could see as the five ex-cops charged with secondary murder in connection with the death of Tyree Nichols go to trial as other investigations pan out and as Memphis and the country come to grips with all of it. Anna McCabe, I do want to start on the investigation. Talk to me about that because there is an investigation ongoing. I'm sure the video will be the key piece of evidence in all of it. But What else is happening behind the scenes?
10: Yes, absolutely, John. I I mean, certainly on the on the local side with the charges that we're aware of, that investigation will continue, I think, first and foremost, to identify other people who might need to be caught up uh, in the investigation as well. We've heard about the two sheriff's deputies who have now been uh, uh, suspended pending an investigation. And of course, we don't know what's happening with the EMTs. But there's also a parallel federal investigation that's Looking at this through the lens of determining whether these officers unlawfully uh, denied or impinged upon Tyree Nichols constitutional rights. And there's all sorts of constitutional rights that appear to have been violated by the by the pretty obvious um you know, horrendous acts they uh, they inflicted upon him in that beating. And I should also say, John, I think one of the things that will characterize those investigations that they go forward and ultimately the perception of jurors or people who uh, sit in judgment over the officers is that second interaction, the beating in the second interaction, it is replete with a, with a, uh, there's like a vindictiveness to it, right? There's a, it almost feels like a retaliation from the way they beat him, the things they said while they were doing it, the threats, the taunting. Um, You know, they, it, it, it comes off as if these men are getting back at Tyree Nichols for embarrassing them, for, for resisting their authority, for making them chase him. And it's so over the top that it, that it appears on its face to be unreasonable And it is that unreasonable standard that will work against them in both prosecutions.
1: And there are definitely questions about why, what caused that specifically within those four minutes. Michael Fanone, back to you, because, again, looking at the video, I I wonder what you make of the apparent, I don't know if it was difficulty they seemed to have in, in getting him in handcuffs, if that's what they wanted to do at least at first. What did you see them trying to do and maybe an explanation for why they couldn't make it happen.
21: Well, John, I I spent nearly my entire career, which spanned 20 years, working in units like this, uh, proactive police units charged with pursuing violent criminals, narcotics traffickers, and uh, people that commit crimes with firearms. Um, When you place a person under arrest, uh, try to gain custody or control over them, and they don't want you to gain control over them, it doesn't matter whether they're, um, you know, on some type of uh, narcotics uh, or just, you know, sober. Uh, it is very difficult uh, if they don't want you to, uh, to gain control of them. Uh, it can take multiple officers. Uh, so to me, um, I mean, clearly there were tactical missteps here, um, at, at one point, it seemed like the officers were working against one another uh, and were caught up in the chaos of the moment. Um, you know, there they were clearly decisions that were made that escalated uh, this situation to a point where Mr. Nichols lost his life uh, and did not deserve that. Um, yes.
1: And just finally, Michael, you know, what, kind, what does this do to morale uh, in, in a department?
21: Uh, it's horrible for morale. Um, you know, number one, you have 800 law enforcement or 800,000 law enforcement officers in this country that are watching this and they're going, here we go. Um, you know, this is going to cause, you know, more contentious incidents with members of the community. Uh, any trust that we may have built since the last time this happened is gone. Um, and not only that, it, it causes a lot of, uh, Distrust amongst law mm-hmm. enforcement officers themselves.
1: Michael I do appreciate that perspective, hearing from someone who has been there. Thank you, and thank you all for helping us uh, understand this. You all come at it from different parts of the community. Coming up, Don Lemon's conversation with the mother and stepfather of Tyree Nichols.
2: And earlier tonight, I was fortunate enough to speak with the parents of Tyree Nichols along with their attorney, Benjamin Crump, who was on with us earlier, by the way. Well, she told us about the moment that police came to her door, the story they told her about what had happened the moment that she went to the hospital to see her son. So I am joined now by Ravon and Rodney Wells, the parents of Mr. Nichols here and of Tyree Nichols and also Benjamin Crump, the family attorney. 20 days since this happened. Yes. Without your baby. Yes.
22: Yes, this is hard. No, I don't have my baby. I'll never have my baby again. But I do know that he was a good person and that all this, all the good in Tyree will come out. Mom, when did you first learn about this? How did you hear? The Memphis Police Department banged on our door approximately around between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, asking if I knew Tyree Nichols. And we said, yes, what's going on? He's been arrested. Arrested for what? DUI. DUI? My son don't drink like that. What do you mean DUI? Well, we had to pepper spray him and tase him so he's being attended to by the paramedics and we'll send him to the hospital and then after that he'll go to booking. Around four o'clock in the morning, the doctors called from St. Francis and said, Mrs. Wells, do you know your son's in the hospital? And I said, yes, I was advised by the police officers. He said, why aren't you here? And I said, the police officer said that I couldn't come because he was under arrest. The doctor proceeded to tell me that my son had went into cardiac arrest and that his kidneys were failing. When my husband and I got to the hospital, and I saw my son, he was already gone. They had beat him to a pulp. He had bruises all over him. His head was swollen like a watermelon. His neck was busting because of the swelling. They broke his neck. My son's nose looked like a S. They actually just beat the crap out of
3: them.
2: She didn't see the video. You saw the video? Yes. What are we gonna
3: see Rodney? I didn't want her to see the video or hear the video. Um, It was our attorney's request that she could stay in there as long as she could. Um, She heard one word and had to leave out the room. And that was when they initially was pulling him out the car He said, what did I do? I
22: knew that's
3: what he said. He said, what did I do? Why are y'all doing this to me? What did I do? Mm -hmm. And they proceeded to snatch him out of the car and was trying to wrestle him to the ground. Mm -hmm. I saw officers hitting on him. I saw officers kicking him. One officer kicked him like he was kicking a football a couple of times. And uh, but the most the most telling thing about the video to me was the fact that it was maybe 10 officers on the scene and nobody tried to stop it or even after they beat him and and they would pop him up against a car. No one rendered aid to him whatsoever. They walked around smoking cigarettes like it was all calm and like, you know, bragging about what happened. Ravon and
2: Rodney Wells, along with the family attorney there, Benjamin Crump, in a very emotional interview. There's other major news to report to you tonight. A deadly attack at a synagogue in Jerusalem on Holocaust Remembrance Day. The latest from Israel, plus reaction from the White House. That's next.
1: There was a massacre at a synagogue in Jerusalem today on Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is being described as a heinous terror attack by the White House, which extended U.S. full support to Israel earlier. At least seven are dead, along with the Palestinian gunman. CNN's Sadas Gold has the latest from Jerusalem.
23: John, Israeli police say this attack started around 8.15 here in the Neve Yaakov neighborhood of northeast Jerusalem. They say the attacker came up to a synagogue. It is Friday night, Shabbat. The synagogue was likely full of worshippers there for services. The attacker began shooting people as they were exiting the synagogue. As of right now, five men and two women were killed. At least three other were injured, among them a 15-year-old boy who is still in hospital. The attacker then got back into his car and started driving down this street behind me. And I want actually step to the side because you can see this white sedan that he was driving because that is the place where he ultimately encountered Israeli police who were responding to the situation and where he was ultimately shot and killed. Now, Israeli police are identifying the attacker as a 21-year-old Palestinian, a resident of East Jerusalem, and they are calling this a terrorist attack. In fact, one of the worst, they say, that they've seen in recent memory. And this attack is coming not in a vacuum. It's been a very violent two days in this region. Uh, Thursday was the deadliest day for Palestinians in the West Bank in over a year. There was an Israeli military raid in Jenin in the occupied West Bank. The Israeli military say that they were targeting Islamic Jihad militants. At least nine were killed in that attack. We know at least one of them was a civilian bystander, a woman in her 60s. Another Palestinian was killed later in the day in further clashes elsewhere. And then later that evening, rockets were fired from Gaza into Israel, and Israel responded with airstrikes. So already the tensions were sky high here. Officials were already concerned about things spiraling out of control. And then this attack tonight, seven killed, at least three injured. Now, this is a big test for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who actually just recently came back into power. Take a listen to what he had to say
6: tonight.
1: There's a need to act with determination and composure. I call on the people not to take the law into their own hands. For that purpose, we have an army, police, and security forces.
23: This will be a major test for this new government. Benjamin Netanyahu is not a new prime minister, but his government is the most right-wing in Israeli history, and some members of his cabinet, his ministers, are considered far-right politicians. It would be a big question about how this government will choose to respond to this attack, to the situation. I should also note in the timing of all of this is the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. He is expected to be visiting this region on a pre-planned visit in the coming days. He's expected to sit down with both Israeli and Palestinian leaders. His visit couldn't come at a more tense and volatile time here. The Palestinians cutting off security coordination with Israelis after the raid in Janine and now this attack tonight. There will be a lot on the table for the U.S. Secretary of State. John.
1: Hadas thank you so much for that report. A painful, painful night. We'll be right back.
24: Good evening, everyone. I'm Laura Coates in D.C., and Don Lemon is in Memphis. And Don, look, we were watching you this morning. You started the day out with the police chief, and here you are ending it with me in Memphis. Tell me what has transpired today that has really been something that you will not forget.
2: It's really been a remarkable day. Quite frankly, it's been a remarkable 24 hours, Laura, because um, yesterday we got the charges for the police officers, and then now we woke up to the interview, very candid interview from the police chief. I was surprised that she actually gave an interview, but considering the district attorney had announced those charges, I think she felt Um, that confident that it was her time to speak because she didn't want to get in the way of the investigation. But she was very candid about why she believed those charges were fair. She knew that there would be strong charges. She doesn't do the charging, as you know, the district attorney does. But she also said this is a failure uh, within the police department, and she took responsibility for it. She said it, it stops with her. You can't be with the officers 24 hours a day. Um, and then she also spoke to the inhumanity of the officers and what the Nichols family, the Nichols slash Wells family, what they're dealing with. So it's been a very, very emotional day, uh, also getting to interview the family as well, the dad and the mom.
24: You know, Don, it, I was so struck by the idea. I just think there, it wasn't that long ago that we can recall the idea of having a police chief, let alone another police officer in general, speaking out about the conduct of other officers. We talk about the blue code and the blue wall of silence, and we were all struck when Chief Arredondo back um, in in Minnesota was speaking out about the officers, including Derek Chauvin, and now, of course, we see the idea that people can't hide behind the badge and people will speak out. I was really struck by that moment. And, frankly, his mother. I mean, just the amount of grace... And empathy she even had for the officers involved. I, I mean, as a mom, I just could not imagine what she is going through, let alone to she hear said, her in those moments.
2: She said she felt sorry. She's going I actually yeah. feel sorry for them. And, you know, you know, speaking of the police chiefs and, and what happened, the, the way that this happened here, you know, it takes care of a lot of this, a lot of the tension um, a lot of the protesting, a lot of the things that turn in, eventually turn into riots is transparency, is having a plan. It's getting ahead of, of the horrific video that you're going to see. And speaking of, that video coming out tonight, that shows you why those officers were fired immediately. That shows you why the district attorney charge them. If you, you cannot look at that video and say, oh, yeah, they, what they did was right. No one can look at that video and say that. What they did was absolutely wrong, and there was a complete disregard for Tyree Nichols' life.
24: And the number of officers who are on that scene, I mean, you always want, is there not one person among you who would say stop? I mean, the idea of a cooler head prevailing, and the coolest head we heard was the actual words of Tyree Nichols himself at the beginning when he was trying to de-escalate the situation. Don, great coverage. We'll see you back soon.
2: Thank you, Laura. It's good to see you. I wish it was under better circumstances.
24: I do too, my friend. Get some sleep. We'll need you again. Everyone, I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight, and our breaking news coverage is continuing now in the wake of the release of that heartbreakingly horrific video that showed the brutality that was unleashed on Tyree Nichols, and how, frankly, people all across this country are reacting tonight to what they have seen. And what we're all seeing on these videos, and there's more than one different vantage points, some pole cam, some body cam, some with audio, some without, it's all collectively and individually so difficult to watch. I mean, a human being, a 29-year-old man, beaten mercilessly over and over And over. When it started, when police first pulled him over, it was him, it was he who tried to calm the situation.
4: Damn! I didn't do anything. You,
15: oh, hey! I didn't turn your ass, around.
3: Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hold the ground, hold the, right, the, right, the ground,
10: All right, all right, all right, all right. You do right, do that, okay? Get on the fucking ground! Get on the it, ground! Okay,
3: okay, okay. Tase your ass!
10: All all
6: right.
3: I'm on the ground. Lay down!
6: Please on the ground! I'm gonna tase you! Get on
15: the ground!
5: Lay One. Okay, now, stop.
15: all right, okay, all your right, all right, break your shit.
25: Okay,
5: okay? okay. dude, damn. turn the fuck around. Put your fucking I mean,
15: hands, your hands on your back. Bitch, put your hands on your back. Put... Okay, come oh, I'm gonna all knock right. your ass the fuck okay, out. You guys are really
4: doing a lot
24: right now. Can anyone looking at that even understand why it escalated? Why there was the anger by the officers? Why there was a screaming compared to the calm of a man who had been pulled over? We're still waiting to figure out what if their answer can ever come. But frankly, what you just saw was nothing compared to what was to come. Tyree Nichols kicked and punched again and again, beaten with a baton asp.
3: Give me your motherfucking hands
24: Watch out! i'm a baton the fuck out you! Give the fucking hands!
4: The, watch out!
5: Watch out! Give, give it! hands! Give us your hands! Give me your hands! Same location.
6: Ross, the character, you're the character. Name? What's that? Give me your fucking hand. Give me your hand. Give me your fucking hand.
3: Give me
6: your hand.
3: Give me your hand. Give me your hand.
24: Screaming in pain, incoherent in that moment. At one point, screaming for his own mother, who was yards away.
4: Hey, Mike! Hey, bro! Hey, bro. Mom. Watch, out, watch out! Watch out! Mom! Mom! Mom. 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 Mom.
24: It really breaks your heart to hear that. To hear him calling out for his mother. Reduced inexplicably by more than five officers on that scene. Three days later, that young man, Tyree Nichols, would be dead. Now, there is a criminal case that will be decided in a court of law. There's been charges filed. That's the law. And the inhumanity that you've seen, the savagery that has been depicted and shown is so graphic and excruciating. And Tyree Nichols, he never got the answer to the question that he asked when they first pulled him over. What did I do? I want to bring in CNN's Shimon Porcupes, who is in Memphis tonight. Shimon, it's very difficult for me as a human being, let alone as a mother, to hear someone's son calling out. And we've heard it, frankly, before, in the George Floyd killing. We've heard the screams of others, including Trayvon Martin, looking to have help in those moments. And I could go on, frankly, in a number of instances. Those are just a few that come to mind for people. But there has been more fallout tonight from what we have seen from those very videos what can you tell us?
7: Yeah, more fallout because what you see in that video, Laura, as you uh, said you know, so well, is just no one was there to help him. Uh, and so he was yelling for his mother. Well, you see all those officers in the video there, uh, EMTs eventually. No one, no one, no one would help him. And as a result of that, we're learning tonight that two Sheriff's deputies, uh, we're just finding this out tonight, We're there on scene as well. The sheriff here uh, in Shelby County, here in Memphis, uh, revealing tonight in a statement that as a result of this video, he learned that two of his deputies were there. It was the first time that he was seeing this video. And so after seeing the video, he placed these two deputies on leave. Why is he just finding this out now? Why is this kind of action just being taken now? We don't know. So, you know, so certainly, Laura, a lot of questions here that we still need to ask.
24: Certainly. And the idea here, of course, we've been hearing from the Shelby County D.A., Steve Mulroy. You're hearing from the Memphis Police Department and police chief. But the Shelby County officers, a distinct unit and essentially a, a distinct um, jurisdiction. Is that the yeah. idea here that he was learning that people from his own jurisdiction were present on the scene as well?
7: Right. So you have the sheriff now with his own people. We don't know why they were there. We, right. we assume that they may have heard it on the radio. And so they responded. Uh, and then you have the, the, uh, right, the Memphis Police Department, the Scorpion unit, where these five officers were part of, uh, that has now sort of is not as a unit. They are not. Functioning, Their duties uh, have been suspended as a unit. The family is asking for this unit, the Scorpion unit, which is this anti-crime unit. You see that they drive around. You see that in the video. They drive around in unmarked cars. These five officers who are part of this uh, unit, they drive around, and their whole purpose is to prevent crime, to really fight crime, aggressive. Uh, and so that unit for now is not operating, but the family wants them disbanded. Uh, they do not want this unit operating uh, in this community any longer
24: well if this is an indication of the type of work that has been done by this unit it's no wonder why shimon thank you so much you know i want to bring in to the conversation reverend roslyn nichols pastor of freedoms chapel christian church in memphis and Rhonda logan a member of the memphis city council ladies let me just begin for a moment with unpacking this acronym for the scorpion unit Scorpion, this acronym, is Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhood. Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. This is the unit of officers that we saw on these series of videos doing very little to restore peace, doing very little to prevent a crime, and instead charge themselves with inflicting this horrible harm onto the now late Tyree Nichols. I'm wondering, let me begin with you, um, Councilman Councilman, uh, Rhonda Logan, how is the community reacting tonight now that this video, these series of videos have been released?
25: Well, we've actually had, um, and thank you for having me, I do want to start there, Uh, as well as my condolences to the family um, of Tyree Nichols. Uh, We have had peaceful uh, protests Um, But actually, the the feelings and the sentiment, the feelings are raw. Um, You know, the video just came out tonight, today, and there's just a a gamut, across the gamut, a span of uh, emotion uh, from despair, uh, shock, uh, outrage. Um, There are a number of uh, feelings at this point, and it's understandable. It was a horrific act. Hi- Highness Act and you know people are really reeling from seeing the
24: um, the video. To that point Reverend um, Nichols, Nickel- pro- oh excuse me go ahead, go ahead Councilwoman.
25: The protests have been peaceful and that's the one thing that uh, Ms. Nichols, uh, Tyree's mother asks for, the family asked for peaceful protest. and uh, people have a right to and, it, and actually um, I- I'm glad that people are um, voicing their their opinion and, um, you know, they are protesting it and actually having a platform and taking the liberty to um, extend their rights to protest.
24: It's a very important point that you raise, the idea of being able to make one's viewpoints known. We collectively oftentimes see the devolution of otherwise righteous protests and to see the ability for people to still exercise their First Amendment rights and to speak out against what they have seen, even in light of the transparency, is an important co- part of the conversation. Reverend Nichols, I mean, wh- what are you hearing in the community, especially because there was a lot of concern about releasing this footage on a Friday evening? People were aware that um, the, there would be a visceral reaction to what was seen. But you did have the transparency, at least in the release of the tapes, as well as the indictments that had already come down charging these officers. What is the sense in the community tonight, given those two things, the release of the video and the charging decisions? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, I think
19: that what you what we have experienced in Memphis is really not that exceptional. We have um, activists and organizers who uh, are aware of how to honor the lives of those that we have lost. And so, when we heard the parents asking for peaceful protest, we are equipped. Our organizers, our activists, are equipped to do that. Um, oftentimes, when our protests turn disruptive, it is a uh, also at the hands of the police so our activists are are well geared well trained to do that on the other side of your question is there is uh grief and and fear and sorrow but there's also rage because we have been um working to address what has now been revealed in this horrific incident related to policing in Memphis, Shelby County, and quite frankly, across the, the nation. So to that degree, um, we have all combined our efforts to honor this life, a man, young man who lived peacefully and whose life was taken, as well as to address issues that are not in this moment. They have mm-hmm. been systemic for uh, longer than we uh, want to uh, have to acknowledge, but that are indeed the fact.
24: It's such an important point to raise because we obviously see the culmination of so much and the ideas of, um, at times, the prevalence and the hope that people will not be desensitized and turn away, but to lean in to ensure we do not continue to have these conversations, to have these funerals, and to have real significant change. Because I I wonder as a mom, looking at this, when my kids ask me what has happened, how do you help your children to prevent this? What do you say to them to be able to help them to evade something like this if he's done nothing wrong? That's, that's part of the conversation that continues to happen all across this country. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Look, the inhumanity of what we saw on those videos is horrible. And, and how much of it, frankly, is from body cam videos as in the ones worn by the officers, as in the officers knew that they were on camera and that what they were doing had a significant chance of being seen. So what what does that say about what's happened? Knowing that we could have rolled the tapes. You know, there's been a major development tonight after the videos we saw were released. The Shelby County, Tennessee sheriff, after seeing it for the first time when the rest of us did, placed two of his deputies who were on the scene on leave pending an investigation of their conduct. Let's talk more about what we witnessed tonight on the video with CNN legal analyst Elliot Williams, a former federal prosecutor, CNN political commentator Van Jones and retired Los Angeles police sergeant. Cheryl Dorsey. I'm glad to have you all here this evening. I mean, just the the range and the scope of the vantage points that we have seen tonight, very telling. I want to begin with you here, um, Sergeant Dorsey, on this point, because the video from the mounted police camera, for example, very disturbing to think about what we were watching and witnessing in real time. It, It does show police hitting Tyree Nichols at least nine times kicking and hitting and i want to make sure when you're watching this everybody it is very disturbing what you're seeing it is graphic content so please take caution in terms of what you were seeing and looking at they were hitting him with a baton and an asp what are we witnessing here walk me through this a little bit sergeant dorsey in terms of what you are seeing
26: Uh, we're seeing uh officers abuse uh their authority we're seeing them punish Mr. Uh, Nichols. We're seeing these officers do what they do on a regular basis. I promise you we'll find out in the future that there are going to be others that are going to come forward and talk about the kind of abuses they've suffered at the hands of the Scorpion unit. I mean, the name alone is off-putting. These officers understand that great deference is given to their version of events, and we heard them from start to finish, manufacturing probable cause, lying about the encounter Uh, creating an audio record because they understood that they were being recorded when they said, you know, he was really strong, all 140 pounds of him, when they said that he was trying to take their gun, when they lied and said that he had tried to hit them in the midst of committing an infraction, reckless driving, and then to know that his mom said that Officers came to her home and said that her son was being uh, treated at the hospital because he was a DUI and then we're going to take him to the jail and book him, knowing he wasn't able to be booked because of his injuries. And it wasn't until the hospital staff called and said, do you know your son is here and why aren't you here? So they knew exactly what they were doing from start to finish. They were intellectually dishonest. And I think this police chief has got a lot of work to do in terms of those officers and those who stood by and acquiesced this murder.
24: Sergeant Dorsey, I am particularly struck as well by what we were seeing on camera, knowing they had body cameras. You heard them begin to say statements that are akin to a script. Van, I want to bring you into this because um, there is that notion of why are they, after having been around each other, after they were witnessing what one other was doing, why were they telling and reciting the facts, giving the, nar- giving the narrative and beginning to talk about the chronology of events, they were well aware that there was a camera on them. And it was really so disheartening. And that's an understatement to watch it in motion, to watch them talk about the things that Sergeant Dorothy spoke about. You know, tell me, you know, the idea here of this footage that's out there, what do you make of the fact that in spite of knowing the cameras were there... They may have explained, but they also acted the way they did.
16: Well, it just shows that, um, A, this is not the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing a, what the evidence of a culture of abuse. Uh, there's a pattern and a practice I guarantee you the Department of Justice is going to be able to uncover when you have police officers acting this brazenly. And then, as, again, uh, all the stuff that they were saying is just getting ready to what we used to call test a lie. They're getting ready to test a lie. Um, about a bunch of stuff that if we did not have the videos, what would have happened is there would have been police reports filed saying that this, was, you know, this guy was aggressive, he was on something, he was superhuman in his strength, he was going for their gun to justify the level of beating and brutality that you saw. Fortunately, you have the video evidence that shows him getting punched around like a piñata uh, when he was not able to resist. And he was not putting up any, any effort. You, you never saw one time in all the videos him throwing a punch. You never saw him kicking. You never saw, what you saw was him taking abuse after abuse after abuse. And yet they knew once they're all standing around, they start making up stuff that there is no evidence of. That lets you know you're dealing with a culture of abuse, a culture of misconduct, and, a, and a, I guarantee you a pattern of practice with this unit and others in Memphis, Tennessee.
24: Well, if that's the case, of course, Elliot, pattern and practice makes me automatically think about the Civil Rights Division. And they often have cases and they will begin to have a pattern of practice, pattern and practice um, investigation into different areas and jurisdictions We've seen this in Baltimore and other places across this country. But I wanted to, for the audience, look at this timeline for a moment, Elliot. Elliot, excuse me. This timeline really does show you we're talking about from the start to finish. Do you realize just looking at that and the timing of when this happened, the first location being inside the vehicle versus the second, that a stretcher arrives about 23 minutes after he has been subdued and is rolled onto his back. He has been dragged and propped up against the car, and there is still a delay. And looking from 8.24 when we first start to see it to 9 o'clock when a stretcher arrives next to him, I mean, therein lies part of the charging decision of the duty to intervene or to render aid. What is your take when you look at this timeline of that encounter?
20: So it's, it's a few things, Laura. I think, um, number one, it's, it goes to the homicide uh, charge that, um, you know, look, it, there has to be a knowing killing of, an, of a person. That's that's sort of the legal standard for murder too, second-degree murder in Tennessee. Um, and that failure to render aid for that amount of time will certainly be something that prosecutors will bring up in the context of trying to prove that charge. Now, that's one. Number two, In that federal civil rights investigation that Van teased a moment ago, that that probably the Justice Department's looking into, number one, they'll be looking at each of the individual officers and their failure to render aid. uh, Or intervene. Or intervene. Or just stop. Right. And 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 again, you're not talking about, look, if you and I sat here in silence for a minute, it would be painful, right? 22 minutes, 23 minutes is a very long time. And then this whole notion of a, quote, pattern and practice investigation, where the Justice Department can go in and investigate... You know, is there something systemic in Memphis with how police officers are trained and so on? So there's a lot of tools that law enforcement has at both the state and federal level, um, all of that. And, you know, and something like, you know, simply that amount of time is itself instructive and, and very uh, not just difficult to watch. It's legally relevant.
24: Well, stick around. We're going to talk more about this and go into the charging decisions and especially lean on the expertise of our law enforcement panel and policy analysts and talk about where do we go from here? And if the phrase is no justice, no peace, has the justice system moved far enough along to ensure it? Following the release of the video tonight, the Memphis district attorney, Stephen Mulroy, issued a statement promising that his office will do everything it can to get justice for Tyree Nichols and his family. Back with us now, Elliot Williams, Van Jones, and Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. I want to pick up where we were left off. I I don't know that it's always apparent to people or abundantly clear when we're talking about the idea of a so-called script or the performing for the body cams, knowing that they might be viewed later on. Let me play for everyone a moment from the videos that we saw where the officers are talking about and making statements about what they say Tyree Nichols did to justify their force. Listen.
17: I spray, he spray. Hip oh, hip okay. a He jump up,
3: just
5: take taste
25: Then
3: he was going for not dope. He Then he was going for a gun too. So I'm like, he, he, grabbed, my, he grabbed, he grabbed gun, a gun on the man, like, That on That's long as, as, as I, I'd have been a minute. Man,
19: oh, man, he got man. some in his back pocket. No
5: wallet. Man, this. I ain't even look. I, we got him out of the car. We was like, hey, bro, you good? motherfucker swung. Pow! Almost hit me. Yeah. You reach gun, you know, he reached for my gun. slammed to the yeah. side, he, on,
23: he, on, he, wow. he literally had his hand on my gun. Like that motherfucker
24: on there. They're saying if it was if it was audible, he had his hand on my gun. He reached for my gun. He swung. Pow! Almost hit me, Sergeant Dorsey. When you hear this, in light of what we have seen, what is your reaction?
26: Well, this is how these officers get down. This is not new to them. This is what they do. They did it too effortlessly. And uh, everything that they said was to create an audio record because they understand that... um someone is going to question uh, the hospitalization of this individual. And like I said, great deference is given to an officer's version. And so this is what they were preparing for. And I guarantee you, they've used that same scenario and it's worked in the past. I can't imagine that uh, the police chief is, is unaware. And if she is, then she needs to fire whoever keep her abreast of what's going on with that unit in her department. I can't believe that she's not aware that there are numerous complaints, whether there's smoke there's fire. And if she's not aware that these officers were involved in that kind of activity, then that's problematic. Where are the supervisors? How come there was no one there to manage this use of force? And so everything about this just uh, is problematic from start to beginning. And I think it was all orchestrated and manufactured.
24: I want to read again, because I keep going back to that acronym van of Scorpion. It's a street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods. That's what it's supposed to stand for. And, you know, it's not lost. on just looking at the screen, looking at this panel and looking at what we saw on the video, five black officers charged in the killing of an unarmed black man. Now we often have conversations, Van, about the element of race and the racial dynamic in policing, but I think we all know quite well that when it comes to power, blue trumps black. The idea of the race of the person who is victimized often more telling than the race of the aggressor. What is your reaction?
16: Yeah, I think it's really important because um, there's this very simplistic notion that says, well, if a a white cop is doing something uh, to an unarmed black person, then that's racism. Um, But we sometimes forget, unfortunately, um, uh, African-Americans can also be guilty Of hatred and bias and bigotry against other African Americans. Uh, Sometimes you go into a store that's owned by an African American, um, they're nice to the white folks and suspicious of you. Uh, It's it's, it's not that only one group uh, can harbor anti-black bias. It's it's so pervasive. And so the other thing that happens is certain neighborhoods uh, are just considered almost by some police departments, war zones. Anything goes over there, you know, just do what you have to do. And so black officers can pick up on those kinds of Accuse those kinds of signals when nobody gets in trouble for acting a certain way in this neighborhood versus in a white neighborhood. So uh, race is an element here. I can't imagine any police officers delivering that kind of brutal beating uh, to a white male uh, U.S. citizen. Can you imagine if you had five black officers doing that? It's just, it's very hard to to imagine. I think what has happened is we've uh, become accustomed uh, black and white officers to a certain amount of inhumanity being directed in certain neighborhoods uh, with certain suspects, and you saw that play out today.
24: Elliot, what's your reaction?
20: Well, I mean, I mean, the biggest reaction I have is every you know when you're a prosecutor, you see things in terms of evidence. Yeah. Every single word that those men said uh, is a potential piece of evidence. One for uh, getting them in trouble because, for instance, the statement about maybe he reached from or he reached for my gun, mm-hmm. maybe he did. Right now, the videos that we saw don't. Seem to make that clear, but maybe it did happen. Now, regardless of that fact, a jury is going to unpack that statement. And if he if he is fabricating this fact about uh someone reaching for his gun, that hurts his credibility as a defendant, and even if he never takes the stand. And so
24: and the credibility of those who nodded along. Who
20: nodded along. So all of the above. And I and again to you know to the broader point. What I see there is just a series of of more systemic failures that start with the escalation that kicks off the very search to begin with, with the shouting and the guns, uh, the guns drawn and so on that fuels some of the charges and again setting aside the homicide what you had was official misconduct charges based on the conduct of the officers um, detaining him unlawfully that's what they're charged with I'm not making this up I mean they're charged with kidnapping and and two counts of official misconduct and I think it speaks to something far bigger than a homicide it's misconduct by these officers um, as blessed by the police department and the quick action they took um, to, to, to suspend them Terminate them.
24: There's still a lot more to learn, everyone, and about. I'm sure, frankly, there's likely more footage out there of some kind, either it's private or otherwise. We'll continue to unpack what's going on and also that timeline because it took more than 20 minutes before a stretcher got to the scene for Tyree Nichols as he was laying on the ground and he was battered and bruised and dying. We'll talk about what his body went through and likely suffered and what that delay in care could have cost him next. A memorial to Tyree Nichols tonight before tip-off of the Memphis Grizzlies game at the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight. Both teams holding a moment of silence on the court. I want to bring in CNN medical analyst Dr. Jonathan Reiner to discuss what the videos we saw tonight tell us about Tyree Nichols' injuries as he was left on the pavement without assistance, twisting and contorting on the ground. Dr. Reiner, thank you for being here this evening. You know, we, we look at this through a series of lenses, and yours, as a medical professional, of course, very important to understand what it would mean to have a delay in the um, rendering of assistance and aid to someone. You watched that video, along with the rest of us, and we saw yeah. him being kicked and struck multiple times, including in the face, also with an asp, the baton. He was punched repeatedly. As a doctor, when you're viewing that, what were you thinking and thinking about what it was doing to his body?
9: So he became a uh, multiple uh, trauma patient. So uh, you know, we see people who come to the emergency room after, let's say, their car has rolled over and they have injuries all over their body. And uh, Mr. Nichols became that patient after the after the beating, after being you know, beaten uh, over his head and uh, his chest uh, repeatedly. Uh, in trauma medicine, you know, uh, the trauma physicians talk about a golden hour after a grievous injury during which. Even a, a very seriously injured uh, patient can be salvaged if you, you know, triage them quickly and get them uh, the, the uh, most aggressive care. But what we saw uh, through these uh, tapes is that a large portion of that golden hour uh, window of potential resuscitation was squandered with uh, Mr. Nichols propped up against that car with no, with no medical care.
24: When you just think about that moment in time and that delay, it's not just the idea of what a duty of care would be owed from the police perspective, but what a medical professional would have in their duty of care that was owed. And we you know that paramedics were on the scene. We we see two pictures really that have come out. One of Tyree Nichols in the hospital, and of course one as the healthy person that he was in prior to. And this picture, I'm so sorry to even show it. That his family has provided. When you look at this picture, though, as a medical professional, and that's just heartbreaking to think of the two distinctions. What does that tell you in terms of what the medical treatment they might have been administering would have been?
9: So, when when you see Mr. Nichols, uh, you know, prior uh, to you know to the, this uh, catastrophic uh, uh, beating, uh, he's a very slender man. is you know he has a very uh, sort of elongated, you know, slender head. And the image of him lying in the bed, intubated, you know, with the endotracheal tube in his mouth, you see how uh, what, we, what we call edematous or swollen his head is. And that's from uh, repeated trauma. Now that trauma is not just, you know, contained in the soft tissues of his face and around his eyes, but that force is transmitted through his skull and into his brain. So when you see somebody whose head is so swollen like that, think about what has happened inside his brain. So it's like having a series of concussion after concussion after concussion. So that's massive neurotrauma. And time is of the essence. And the sooner that patient is evaluated, you know, the greater the possibility is that you know, whatever damage his brain has sustained you know, might be you know, uh, remedied. But the longer you're left unattended, the uh, less likely that becomes.
24: Dr. Reiner, hearing that makes this all the more heartbreaking to think of the at least 20-plus minutes of just waiting for a stretcher, let alone being propped up the way that he was and thinking about that golden hour with every minute counting. Dr. Reiner, thank you so much for your expertise tonight. My pleasure. Based on everything we've seen just tonight alone let alone hearing, and we'll ultimately learn in the days and weeks to come. The question that many are asking is, has this case been charged appropriately? And what will a jury potentially think? We'll break that down next. What happened to Tyree Nichols? What we saw on those videos tonight was horrific. But this case is not to be decided in a court of public opinion, but rather in a court of law. And the question for many now is, what are the challenges going to be that the prosecution might very well face? Let's talk about now a senior legal analyst, Ellie Honig, who knows about trying cases quite well. And surely, when you were watching this, not only as a father, as a human being, but also from a prosecutor's lens. I wonder, initially, Ellie... We'd heard a lot about this video before we even saw it. The idea of statements like a three-minute sustained beating, the idea of likening it to Rodney King, um, the Memphis police chief statements, among other things. Did the pre-release sufficiently or accurately describe What ultimately was presented through the video.
27: Well, Laura, I think as brutal as the video was, I think the prosecutors actually did quite an effective and appropriate job taking the conduct, which of course they had seen on the video before we saw it, and then applying it to the law and applying the law to it. The lead charge here is a second degree murder charge, which requires the prosecutors to show beyond a reasonable doubt as to each of those defendants individually, a knowing killing, meaning taking action, reasonably foreseeable under the impression they should have known that it was likely to result in death. There are other lesser charges here, which could be the ultimate outcome. But I think all things considered, I think the prosecutors charged this case appropriately.
24: Let's talk about the the fact that it was not a premeditated uh, premeditation charge, first degree murder. Of course, pre, I would pull up for everyone premeditation. It does require essentially a decision to kill, right? The idea yeah. of the classic example of either a hitman or the idea of forming the intent to actually commit that crime. Um, and this is part of the Tennessee code defining what it would actually be in the state of Tennessee. Given that and knowing how difficult it often is to show this, do you think that? there is a chance these charges might increase to first-degree murder or remain where they are.
27: I don't think—I do not expect these charges to be upgraded to first-degree murder based on what we know right now. You do have to show premeditation, Laura. That does not necessarily require— days and weeks or hours of planning. You can form a, a premeditation fairly quickly, but here I just don't see it. I think these prosecutors have been appropriately aggressive. And one thing you have to be careful of when you're a prosecutor, you can't just automatically charge the highest crime available, because if you do, you will end up with an overcharged case, which will cause you to lose credibility with the jury, which can really hurt your, your credibility overall and backfire. So I think the prosecutors have pegged this correctly. I think it's worth noting the family originally was calling for a first degree charge. But I think after meeting with the DA, they understand that second degree is appropriate. And they said they are satisfied with the second degree charge.
24: We will see what comes of all this. Of course, I wonder if they will be tried together. I expect there to be some sort of motion to sever and and separate them. And I would note that all five of the officers we understand have all been able to post bond and are presently out right now awaiting the next steps Stay with me, everyone. Thank you so much, Ellie, nice for all your expertise. We've got a lot more to cover, and it's all live ahead, including community, leader, community leaders in Memphis, officers with decades of experience, and more are all speaking out in the next hour. The country is really reeling in the wake of yet another excruciating video showing the brutal assault, this time of Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old man beaten, kicked over and over again to the point that he couldn't even sit up. Three days later, he died. And tonight we have new details on how that gruesome video is leading to even more accountability. CNN's Shimon Porcupes has the latest on the ground in Memphis. Shimon, what's happening?
7: Laura, continued fallout here from this incident, from this horrific beating. After the video was made public, the sheriff here in Shelby County put out a statement saying that he learned that two of his deputies were on scene that night. And as a result of that, because of this video becoming public, he's placed those deputies on leave. So it's two sheriff's deputies that are now on leave. And of course, you know, we're learning more tonight about this Scorpion unit, the unit, the team, that these officers were part of, the family calling for them to be disbanded. Well, the mayor and the police department here are saying that that unit for right now is not operating in this city. They have sort of suspended their operations while they continue their investigation, but they're not outright gonna, gonna say right at this point that they're gonna disband this unit. They're blaming the problems on these officers and not on the unit. And the other thing throughout all this, of course, in watching this video, Laura, are the EMT, the medics that were on scene, and how long it took for them to offer Tyree Nichols any kind of help? For minutes and minutes, he lay there bleeding after being brutally beaten. And the question is, of course, about those EMTs and the other officers who are on scene and the continued investigation where it appears there's just so much more to come. Laura?
24: Shimon Perkopez, thank you so much. We'll continue to lean on you and your insight and reporting here as well. I want to bring in Memphis City Councilmember Michaelin Easter Thomas. Councilwoman, thank you for being here this evening. It is and it must be a very trying time for the city of Memphis in particular. The nation is watching what is happening. Um, And there has been peaceful protests and calm in the city of Memphis tonight, which is in line with the wishes of Tyree Nichols, Mother, can you tell us what the community is feeling and what you're seeing this evening?
28: Yes, Laura, as you said, the world is watching, and everything tonight has been in my eyes beautiful, um not only because it was peaceful but because it was direct, it was focused, it was bringing Memphis together as we always do, and it's calling for accountability for local leaders such as myself and those who we send to the state legislature to really have an impact on how we treat our accountability and efficiency of our law enforcement. And as we see from the video, other first responders, Uh, we not only just have MPD, but also the fire department has been called in question for some of their employees as well as the Shelby County. And so I I think think... the community.
24: Go ahead. I I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue, please.
28: No, Um, Laura, I was just going to say, I think the community is just calling for swift and efficient action. Um, I will say that in 2020, after the wake of George Floyd and for a lot of us being our first few months in the term of office, we passed resolutions that act or gave recommendations to the Memphis Police Department. I think now what we're going to see is more direct action in the form of ordinances and legislation.
24: How about the idea of that specialized unit, the Scorpion unit? Um, and I, I, I keep going back to what the acronym stands for, apparently, Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Obviously, we saw something very different from that unit in the release of those videos this evening. Will a priority be, as it's been discussed, the possibility of disbanding that particular unit?
28: I'm calling for disbanding of the unit. I know that our police chief, and I think she's doing a great job, C.J. Davis, um, they said that it's suspended operations. However, I'm calling for the disbandment of it. And we can say that it was just a few officers, but we do not know the extent of what type of training or culture was permeating within that unit. And I think disbanding it is the best way to go.
24: Speaking of officers, and I mean that in a plural sense, we know there have been five officers who've been charged. There's conversations surrounding at least two county-level officers who are now placed on some kind of leave um, pending the investigation or review. But there were many more officers who were on that scene. And for many who just watched the video for the first time, myself included, were sort of adding up the people who were on the scene and wondering and trying to hone in on why the decision of just the five so far... Given that there were other officers on the scene and, of course, members of the paramedic squad, et cetera, what is the community's reaction and what is your reaction personally to seeing a greater police presence than initially thought?
28: It's disheartening on two ends, Laura. One it's that many more people decided not to help Mr. Nichols. That many more people decided to onlook and then not offer any aid or stop what was going on. And that many more people were in the murder and the killing of Mr. Tyree Nichols. And so I think that that causes further investigation from the city side of why this information was not made known public before the release of the video. And so I, along with other community members and leaders and activists are wondering what's currently happening. I counted nine individuals in the video, I I might be off, but at that one time in the second elongated video I counted nine individuals. And so we're wanting to know the names and roles of those nine and then what's happening with them as well.
24: A really important consideration. Thank you so much, Councilman Michaelin Easter-Thomas, this evening. Thank you.
28: Thank you, Laura.
24: I want to turn now to CNN Legal Analyst Elliot Williams, also Dr. Rashawn Ray, Professor of Sociology at the University of Maryland, is here, and CNN Law Enforcement Analyst Michael Fanone, also with us on this panel. Gentlemen, you know, when you hear the idea of how many officers were present, um, and you think about where things are right now with the release of the footage, this is actually this is close to home for you in particular, Dr. Rashawn Ray, because this is your hometown community as well. But when you're watching it based on you, know, you train officers as well um, and your work as sociologists, what was your impression now that you have seen this video in the presence of more than five officers on that scene?
14: Well, yeah, Laura, I mean, I'm a, I'm a native Tennessean. I went to the University of Memphis training police officers, working with hundreds of them. The big thing that stood out to me is I'm wondering if culture is actually reformable. See, we're talking about policy change. And I think that's a big movement that we're seeing in Memphis, that people are protesting, saying, look, we are holding our legislators accountable, which is different from saying we're just going to hold law enforcement accountable. People are recognizing that lawmakers actually make the laws. But we need culture to change and policy can do a lot. But culture is something different. And when I watched that video and I saw the lack of duty to intervene, it highlighted what I always say about how bad apples come from rotten trees, that we're focusing on these five individuals. But it's very clear that there is a structural leak at play, not just in the Memphis Police Department, but in other police departments around the country.
24: That's the interesting thing about the culture and can it be reformed? And I I turn to you, Michael, because, of course, in your policing, you know, you've seen firsthand what the culture of police departments can be, obviously, there is some connective tissue, and yet they are independent from one another. I wonder, in looking at this and thinking about the presence of all the officers who are there, what is your impression about the idea of the calls to disband this unit? Would that stop something like this from happening?
21: No, absolutely not. And whether you, whether or not you disband that unit, um, it's, it's not going to alleviate the need for proactive style police work um, you know we saw in washington dc the disbandment of vice units those are the uh... similarly styled uh, to this scorpion unit units that i was a part of for two decades um... short-term investigative units plainclothes officers uh... those are the officers that are out there uh... every single day uh... responding to violent crimes your robberies your burglaries um... dealing with uh... Drug complaints. And when those units were disbanded, we saw two things that were incredibly problematic. In the short term, uh, our department lost its ability to deal with uh, open air drug markets, drug complaints. And these aren't, you know, officers that are um, out there, you know, what I'm trying to say is they were responding to complaints from the community about this type of activity. Uh, And so the community is filing complaints and there's no mechanism to uh, to address those. The other thing is that these types of units, uh, these, you know, uh, kind of junior investigative units are what create uh, and are a pipeline uh, for officers into homicide, into other uh, units. They are intelligence driven units they develop intelligence. I learned how to uh, develop informants, uh, to work with cooperators. I learned about you know, the basics uh, behind assembling an investigation, which mm-hmm. led to uh, more complex cases later on in my career.
24: But can't both things be true, that units can have that particular role, be that vehicle for more experience, be needed or wanted by the community? And for this not to represent proactive-style policing and instead excessive force?
21: Well, listen, I, you know, when I looked at those videos uh, and I draw from my experience in these types of units, what I know from my 20 years in law enforcement uh, that I think is universal is that training uh, in law enforcement is inadequate, wholly inadequate. Uh, the quantity of the training is inadequate uh, and the quality of the training is inadequate. Uh, and what I see play out time and time and time again in these types of situations, and, and you know, some of them, I'm sure there's a racial component there. You know, they are complex issues and there's not one specific, uh, you know, solution. But uh, overall, what I see is a lack of Quality training, uh, yeah. and for whatever reason, we never seem to address that.
24: Well, I, I want to bring you here for a second, Elliot, but I do want to ask you one more uh, question on that on that point, because there's, you know, as somebody who's trained officers yourself, do we have to train humanity? <laughs> because that's something I you would hope mm-hmm. would be innate. We know that it's not always.
14: Yeah, I mean, most definitely. So we have a virtual reality training program at the University of Maryland. And we put officers in the type of situations that they encounter every single day. But I've also served on peace officer standards and trainings commissions. And the big thing I know there is that individuals are getting through kind of this leaky pipeline to become police officers, where a decade or two ago, they might not have been able to get through. But police departments really need bodies. So what ends up happening is you get these individuals that come in, who are highly problematic, who people know that are problematic. And in this case, individuals who might have came, say, from corrections to police departments or from other units to this unit, and they get passed by. They just get, the buck just gets passed around until these particular incidents happen. And so it is a lack of humanity, but it is also a lack of a structural issue at play within police departments. So when I hear Chief Davis make statements like, oh, yeah, essentially that we have a leadership problem, That suggests to me not only is it about humanity, but it's also about the fact that we have a leaky pipeline that has allowed unqualified individuals morally from a humanity standpoint to even be police officers in the first place.
24: That's part of what you mentioned to me before, the idea of the um, the idea of a pattern or practice as Mm -hmm. what the Civil Rights Division might be able to accomplish in terms of looking into it. And obviously consent decrees can Mm -hmm. be a part Mm -hmm. of that in the end. But in the immediacy, I mean, one thing that they seem to have been trained on and many officers are is the idea of what statements you ought to make to ensure that there is some justification for the use of force when it's being challenged. And I want to play for you for a second, Elliot. There's a moment here um, where they are showing Tyree Nichols falling over onto the ground. And you hear the officers make a statement akin to something, he's high as a kite or something like that. Um, And at another point, officers are making statements trying to justify the behavior. Listen to this.
3: Hey, sit up, bro. Uh, sit up, man. Hey, uh, here got screen What the fuck room on my radio, bro? Shit. My shit off the channel like a mother, uh, <laughs> motherfucker.
10: Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I heard they that shit.
16: on. I see, uh, beam touching right here. you <laughs> all Hey, where my light is. Yeah, my light go, bro?
3: Yeah. He got me. Well, girl, he high as a kite.
24: Talking about his, what they perceive his, his state of mind and physical stature to be, etc. Yeah. What do you make it? And again, we don't have any official reports on toxicology. There's been no statement by the police force, for the the chief or anyone else, to suggest that he, in fact wasn't any way under the influence of a substance, but what do you make of it? So about? here's
20: what I make of it, Laura. Like, um, he's high, he touched my gun, he's a big guy, he's struggling, he punched me. All of those are justifications for detaining someone, searching someone, whatever else, under the law. That's just what the law says. Now, here's the thing. We don't exactly know what happened there because it's a bit of a mess. What we do know is that we have a video, and what I can say with certainty is that there's, to me, and I've been saying this for a long time, there's probably no greater reform and, frankly, simpler reform that law enforcement can pursue than putting body cams on every uh, officer and making uh, those videos available. And for two big reasons. One, it's not just for locking up dirty cops or bad cops. It's actually for exonerating people mm-hmm. who have not done anything wrong, right? And so on both, everybody, whether it's the public, whether it's people who are accused of crimes, or whether it's cops who are accused of brutality, everybody benefits from having, like, a, a, a camera on. Because if you haven't done anything wrong, you have an incontrovertible piece of evidence right there that shows what happened in real time. But there's there's a lot of resistance. I mean, increasingly, uh, you're seeing more body cameras. But, but, you know, going back, let's go back to George Floyd uh, two or three years ago. You know, it's a cell phone camera. Now, there was body camera footage there. But we would not have known of any of that right. without real-time video of it. And it's yeah. so valuable on all sides yeah we
24: did see there were moments right when you're watching it there was extended period of time michael fanon where you it seemed like it was being covered up in some way was an obstructed view i don't know if they were covering it intentionally or not but there was some obstruction of view what'd you make of the idea of the cameras being present
21: well i, I was one of those officers that uh, at the outset of their introduction um i had some concerns Uh, and the concerns were born out of, and and as a prosecutor, I'm sure you're familiar with this phenomenon, the CSI effect. Yes. And and this idea that, um, you know, now uh, juries are going to look at the body-worn camera footage, not as an evidence collection tool, but literally as a report of, uh, you know, everything that took place. And it is, you know, when you have a body-worn camera on and you interact, as you saw in that situation, you know, the camera is shaky. that It doesn't capture every single thing. It's possible for an officer to observe things uh, that are not recorded on their body-worn camera. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, what we would see is juries um, that would look at the body-worn camera. And if, if it didn't show exactly what the officer described, then the officer was discredited.
20: And, you know, and to that point, um, juries, and this is why it's just hard to get criminal convictions sometimes, juries expect, you know, you bring someone to trial, you got to have DNA all over everything. You got to have fingerprints on everything. And they just, like you said, it's a CSI effect. I've heard judges talk about it, where people have in their heads this idea that science pervades everything that happens uh, at a crime scene and that a video is going to be the 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 final proof and that, you know, you're you're just going to get a guy's blood splatter or whatever else. It's just not how it works. It's messier and more complicated than that. Now, I think video uh, evidence is valuable. but, But you're right, Michael. It's just, you know, it's not the one thing. And I think people rely on it.
24: Real quick, last word.
20: Yeah, look, video matters. We've seen it in a very, very big way.
14: Biden talked about trauma. Community trauma is big. These illness spillovers of police violence matters. We need to focus on people's mental health to heal people. Research documents that people who live in overly policed communities suffer when it comes to their mental and physical health. And that needs to be primary. But Memphis got a lot of things right. People should follow suit.
24: We'll see if it becomes the blueprint. A very fine point. Indeed, everyone stick around. Some of the five fired Memphis police officers accused in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols were members of the Memphis Police Scorpion unit. We're talking about that today. And that's meant to tackle rising crime in the city. Well, now that unit is inactivated, and it also is under review. So what comes next? Well, there have been mostly peaceful protests tonight over the death of Tyree Nichols after he was beaten by officers in the videos now released protesters in Memphis blocking a highway and chanting, no justice, no peace. And in New York City, three demonstrators were arrested in Times Square and amid minor clashes with police. But back in Memphis, the police department says their Scorpion unit has been inactivated and put under review following the death of Tyree Nichols. At least two of the five officers charged were a part of the controversial unit. And lawyers for the Nichols family calling for that unit to be disbanded earlier today. Back with me now, Michael Fanone. And joining us as well, Neil Franklin, a retired major in the Maryland State Police. Let me begin with you, um, Mr. Franklin, on this issue. And I I wonder about your initial reactions to having seen the video footage and the calls for this unit to be disbanded.
4: Well, my initial reactions are... Here we go again, but yet I'm not surprised. Um, we've been dealing with this culture, this type of use of force, excessive force, for a very long time—not just decades, but over a century. The culture that we see is way more than a century old, and it's going to take a very long time to do something about that. Every it's day awesome. we have these. No, I'm going to say every day we had these types of beatings. We just don't have the video to show it, you know, in, in communities, we have 18,000 police departments across this country. And as we've seen with this, the narratives are constructed. You know, the the reports are, 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 are crafted. And the difference here is that we had someone die, but we have these beatings all the time and we're gonna to continue to have them until we change the culture. Um, regarding the unit, I think it's the right move to suspend it I've never been a, a proponent of these special units, whether we're talking about drug units. I'm from Baltimore. I know you remember the drug, uh, the uh, Gun Trace Task Force. And this unit who we give all this praise to when they go out and they, and they get guns and they get drugs and they get this, the matrix that we use to, to, to measure their performance is usually the number of guns, kilos of drugs, the numbers of arrests. And we can't do that. Um, But I've never been a proponent of these units. We give them exceptional praise. Uh, We give them carte blanche. They end up with impunity. Mm. And then we have corruption and we have the use of force that is inappropriate more times than not.
24: Let me bring you into the conversation as well, Michael Fanon, on that point, because it sounds like when we uh, continue our conversation, the idea of the metrics by which we judge the success of these individual units, not um, in terms of the behavior, and it sounds as though the ends justify the means. Do you see it that way, where the metrics by how we judge the success is the wrong way to do this?
21: Yeah. I mean, listen, um, used appropriately, I think that those types of units are, are invaluable, Um, that being said, I mean, there's, you know, I've been a part of units that were, um, misused, misdeployed. Um, you know, there was a period of time where vice units in Washington, DC became, you know, essentially body squads. Um, you know, we had unofficial arrest mandates, um, and we were judged by the quantity of arrests that we made and not the quality of arrests that we made. That being said, Um, We made changes quite a while ago, Uh, and I know for a fact, uh, under Chief Conti, that he does not care about the quantity of arrests that are made. He cares about the quality of arrests um, and the fact that uh, those arrests can be successfully prosecuted, because ultimately, unless we can really hold these individuals accountable for their actions, uh, it's, it's meaningless,
24: that's an important point to, to bring in, Neil Franklin, bring you back to the conversation, because the idea of judging and hold to account the actions, obviously the goal of policing in part and protection, obviously, and public safety. But here, and I want to point to the Memphis police chief earlier today, this morning, telling my colleague Don Lemon that there was nothing on any of the videos to substantiate probable cause for even pulling him over. So I I wonder, did you get a sense of what the actions would have been that would have caused the series of events that were captured on film?
4: Uh, No, not to cause those events. Um, Obviously, we know that police officers can pull someone over for just about anything today, pretextual stops. It's very easy to uh, have probable cause to make a traffic stop. But to end up where... um, they did with this particular incident and this this heinous beating that we saw i can't think of any traffic violation of a warrant such um, we saw them crafting the narrative uh on video about the grabbing of the gun the taking a swing at one of the officers and we saw when he was being brought out of the car and none of that happened there was no aggression on any video at any time in either circumstance. Uh, where he you know that he displayed whatsoever they can't justify the beating they can justify the stop but they cannot justify this level of beating uh that that they that they did just can't do it
24: on that point michael are you interested in seeing more f- footage is there something you want to see more to be able to really formulate the opinion of what happened here
21: well i mean listen Regardless of whether or not, you know, there uh, ends up being evidence to support um, the officer's reason for making the traffic stop. um, It really doesn't make a difference to me one way or the other, because at the end of the day, you know, nothing can justify uh, the outcome in this situation, which is Mr. Nichols lost his life. Um, So, no, I mean... Further investigation, I'm sure at some point we'll hear uh, or gather statements from those officers uh, about what they specifically observed um, that resulted in that traffic stop and the conduct uh, that we observed at the outset of the video. Um, Why was it that these officers seemed to be um, so aggressive in pulling Mr. Nichols from the vehicle? What actions, Did they observe Mr. Nichols' take, uh, or was there a lack of of justification for that level of aggression?
24: But in the end, as you say, he did lose his life. Gentlemen, thank you. There's more to this conversation that we will continue to have. I appreciate it. I want to turn now and focus on someone who's extremely important in this conversation, because in the midst of her devastation and her grief, Tyree Nichols' mother— says she feels sorry for the police officers who beat her son, and that she knows Tyree is looking down and smiling at her. Up next, the strength and dignity of Rovan Wells.
22: My son is looking down, smiling, because, you know, it's funny. He always said he was going to be famous one day i didn 't know this is how he was going to this is what he meant, but if Good time. Good time. I really don 't know what else to say right now
24: That was Tyree Nichols' mother, Rovan Wells, during a press conference earlier this afternoon this morning she sat down with cnn 's Don Lemon, and she reflected on her son, who he was as a person, and what she will remember most about her beloved son.
22: I'll never have my baby again. But I do know that he was a good person and that all this, all the good in Tyree will come out. And so that's what keeps me going because I just feel like my son was sent here on assignment from God. And his assignment is was over. It's over. And he was sent back home. And God is not gonna let any of his children's names go in vain. So when this is all over, it's gonna be some good and some positive because my son was a good and positive person, Mm -hmm. and that's what keeps me going. That was my baby. He was a mama's boy. That boy loved me to death. He has my name tattooed on his arm. People don't know what those five police officers did to our family. And they really don't know what they did to their own families. They have put their own families in harm's way. They have brought shame to their own families. They brought shame to the black community. I just feel sorry for I feel sorry for them. I really do.
2: Mom? Yes. What you gonna miss about him the most?
22: His beautiful smile, and just, my son had a beautiful soul, and he touched a lot of people. And I always joke, cause he'll come in the house, and he'll come in and say, hello parents, <laughs> I'll never hear that again. I'll never cook for my son again. Mm-hmm. I'll never get a hug from my son again. Mm. I won't get anything from my son again. Mm. Just because some officers decided they wanted to do harm to my son.
25: Mm.
22: And so... This is a very difficult thing. Mm. No mother should have to go through this no mother
24: no no mother should have had to and neither should have you after the break we're going to hear what rovan wells was told by police that night about what happened to her baby tyree and we'll talk about the questions swirling around that story when we come back Questions are building around the Memphis Police Department's initial version of events of what happened to Tyree Nichols. Here's what Nichols' mother, Rovonne Wells, said to Don Lemon about what the police told her that night.
22: The Memphis Police Department banged on our door approximately around between 8.30 and 9 o'clock asking if I knew Tyree Nichols. And we said, yes, what's going on? He's been arrested. Arrested for what? DUI, DUI, my son don't drink like that. What do you mean DUI? Well, we had to pepper spray him and tase him. So he's being attended to by the paramedics and we'll send him to the hospital and then after that, he'll go to booking. What? They then asked me, was he on any type of drugs or anything of that nature? Because he was. they were saying that it was so difficult to put the handcuffs on him and he had this amount of energy, superhuman, superhuman energy. And what they were describing was not my son. So I was very confused. I asked if I can go to the hospital. They told me no. Hmm. They left. My husband and I, we got in our car and we went to go see if we could find Ty because he wasn't answering his phone or anything.
24: Back with me now, Senate political commentator Van Jones, also retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, and CNN National Security Analyst Juliette Kayam. I, I want to begin with you here, Sergeant Dorsey, on the idea of the officers going to the house and stating what they said to the families, given what we've seen. What do you make of their questions about Tyree Nichols?
26: The more I hear, the more questions I have, and the more problematic I think this is going to become for this police chief, because who went to their house? That's what I want to know. Who went to their house and um, does the chief know that they were at her house? Because listen, when an officer tells a lie, that is misconduct on the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, That means that you can no longer go to court and raise your hand and testify to tell the truth because you are a proven and demonstrated liar. And so the problem that I see in all of this is that you've got a unit of liars You've got officers who lied about the detention. You've got officers who followed that lie up by going to the parents' house and alleging that their son had been charged with the DUI. And so the problem this department has with that Scorpion unit and every officer on scene is every arrest report that they've been involved in is now tainted. And anybody Mm. who has an arrest report with the name of any of those officers needs to get a good attorney.
24: That's an important point you've raised, the idea of the officers and the idea of credibility allegations that will be um, raised and addressed at this point. Let me turn to you on this, Juliette Kayyem, because, you know, the idea of the statements that are often put out in describing a, a police encounter, they don't always add up and they're not always the same as what ultimately comes out through prosecution, case in point. Take a look at this statement, everyone, from the Memphis PD that was released on January 8th, saying, quote, while attempting to take the suspect into custody, another confrontation occurred. However, the suspect was ultimately apprehended. Afterward, the suspect complained of having a shortness of breath, at which time an ambulance was called to the scene.
6: How does this statement square with what you saw this evening, Juliet? And not at all, and I, I agree with Cheryl that it is not at all clear to me that the leadership of the Memphis Police Department, who I I, I compliment in a lot of their straightforwardness, it is not at all clear uh, how this ends for them. Because remember, we're we're a few weeks now out from the murder. And uh, and so a lot was going on in that two week period before they uh, fired the police officers, before we, we've got the videos, before they disband or put on uh, put on hiatus, the Scorpion unit. So I, I think it's clear that at least some part of the police department either was told something to protect the unit or. Uh, lied themselves to protect the unit, and I think this is going to be the ongoing investigation that we see. I'm not. I am not at all surprised. Many people will remember that the George Floyd, the first police report, was um, that he. Uh, he had uh, choked or, or had couldn't catch his breath. I mean, it was, it was perverse in many ways. And it was only because, uh, because of an outside video that we began to, to see the, what had happened. So this is uh, not uncommon and part of, I think, a larger reckoning that's going to happen in the Memphis Police Department, even if some of their activities now are, are more transparent than we've seen in the past. Van, let me
24: bring you in here. And um, there is a, a statement by uh, Miss Rovan Wells, where she's speaking in part about going and finding out what actually happened to her son at the hospital. Where she talks about having him; he was pepper sprayed, and that um, and that he had bruises all over him. That his body, they, they broke his neck. She says in it that his his the son's nose looked like an S. She goes on to talk about the state of his body and that he was gone in her mind um, when she arrived. When you hear and think about the contradictions between what she was told and what ultimately was revealed in these videos, speak to me about the importance of the capture of it, the idea of this memorialization that we have not traditionally always seen, but now have become increasingly accustomed to expecting and needing.
16: Well, look, I think, first of all, you know, just the dignity and the grace of the mother um, is just extraordinary. Um, on the one hand, you know, tonight you're depressed. You have to be depressed because what you're seeing are police who are, you know, routine. It does seems seem routine. How they beat the guy, how they try to cover it up, that seems routine, and that's depressing. But what's inspiring is that there is a, a resilience and a beauty and a dignity and a strength in this community and especially in the black mothers in this community, that time and time again shows itself. And, and, and that, that, that is something that I think everybody tonight needs to hold on to. What kind of strength for her to sit there and to explain what she explained and to talk about her son in the way that she did. And so, uh, yes, there was a lot of lying going on, but the, a deeper truth was being told by that mother. Um, she is yes. not going to let uh, uh, this uh, despicable act take away her joy, her love for her son, her belief in his destiny. Even now, she is sticking up for his destiny. She said mm. uh, he's going to be known, and this is not in vain. And so uh, you're seeing the worst and the best uh, tonight. Um, and I, I, just, I just wanted to say I appreciate her strength, and she's given strength to the whole country tonight.
24: She certainly has. And we continue to think about her and what she must be going through, not even having a moment to grieve the loss of an extraordinary son. Thank you so much, everyone. In just a moment, I'm going to bring you some final thoughts on what we have all witnessed tonight. I want to end tonight where we began.
15: Damn, I didn't you do anything! anything.
3: Hey, hey, I didn't hurt your ass around! All right, all right, all right. All right, All right, all right, all right. Hey, no. You don't do that, okay?
24: You don't do that, okay? You know, one of the questions you hear him alluding to is, what has he done? What did he do to warrant the behavior that we have seen? And sitting here today, after hours of coverage and analyzing and searching for the answer to that question, we are left without an answer to what may have been one of his final. What did he do? When I turn to my own children and try to explain any part of this, sitting here today, I won't have an answer. And I wonder if justice will find one.